<laughs> Pot of gold. Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode of Ramble by the River. I'm your host, Jeff Nesbitt, and we've got another great show for you this week. This is episode 52. That's a year of episodes. 52 weeks in a year, one episode a week, that's a year of episodes. It's still kind of hard to believe that I have made over 50 episodes of this show. It's gone by really fast. It's been a lot of fun. I've had a ton of fun. So I don't know if you've been along for the ride since the beginning, or if this is your very first episode, but either way, thank you for being here. Thank you for supporting Ramble by the River. You have no idea how much it means to me. Couldn't do it without you. Thank you. Tell your friends. And if you enjoy the show today, please go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is that you're getting your podcasts and just leave me a little review. A five-star rating is also very helpful, but those reviews are really helpful. People can see that there's a real person actually listening and they enjoyed the show. And so if you can get on there and just type a little quick thing, says, hey, I was doing the dishes and I listened to the show and I loved it. Or, you know, I was mowing the lawn and I had you in my headphones, whatever. Tell me how you listened to the show. Tell me what you thought. Tell me any suggestions or whatever. I do read them and I really enjoy it. So it's been a while since we had a new review. I'll be honest. We have fewer reviews than we do episodes, so that's probably not good. So if you could get on there, I'd really appreciate it. And yeah, I'll quit bugging you about it and just do it. And I promise you, I'll do it for you. Start a podcast. Test me. I'll go in in there and leave a review. Five stars. Unless you're not good, then I'll give you less. But if you're listening to this show, I assume you're a high quality individual, probably going to produce a high quality podcast. So we shouldn't have to worry about that. I'm coming to you from the inside of a hotel in Wenatchee, Washington. If you're not from the area or from this part of the country and you're listening from a faraway land, you won't know that Wenatchee, Washington is not really very close to where I usually broadcast from, which is Chinook, Washington. Chinook is all the way at the coast, the mouth of the Columbia River, hence Ramble by the River. Wenatchee, Washington is far, far away, over the mountains, through the woods. We passed countless grandmother's houses and it's, it's a long drive. But yeah, anyway, Wenatchee is the location of the Washington Weed Conference. And I know what you're thinking. Sounds like a fun conference. And you'd be right, it is a fun conference. I've been coming here since, geez, 2013 was my first year at this conference. So it's been a long time. It happens every November. All the different weed coordinators and people who work in the weed world come together and talk about weeds. Not the kind you smoke, unless you're doing a controlled burn, but the kind that you control, the kind that you pull, the kind that you mow, the kind that you do all this stuff to, to keep them out of our food system and keep them off of our roads and keep them away from people. You know, we don't need those nuisance plants around. And that's what I do for a living. I try to make sure that the world around me is in balance. I'm trying to make sure that government interests and environmental interests and you know, the interests of private landowners all kind of coincide to create the situation where we have a healthy ecosystem that is able to produce economic yields and to support recreation and land use goals. So that's what I'm doing here, trying to learn how to be better at my job. And it usually works. Every time I drive home from these conferences, I feel a little bit more motivated, a little bit more inspired to improve what I'm doing. Because anybody who's worked at a job for any length of time knows that it sucks sometimes. It can be really shitty. It can be really grueling or tedious or monotonous or 
whatever it is, it's a job. They pay you to be there because there are going to be times when you don't want to be there. And a lot of times at my job, I work solo and I don't see a lot of other people who do the same thing as me because I'm the only one who does it in my area. It's easy to get stuck into these thought patterns where I see a problem that's bigger than me and bigger than my power to change it. And so I start to get discouraged. And when I come to these meetings and see other people that are doing similar things, maybe in similar areas or maybe not, but they're doing similar things. We have similar goals and they are solving problems in ways that maybe I haven't thought of or ways that might be better than what I'm doing. And all of a sudden I'm challenged with, hey buddy, maybe you haven't thought about this. Maybe you haven't thought about all these scenarios or what have you. And it's great. It's really good to kind of be confronted with that new information and see like, what's going to happen? Am I going to you know, put my money where my mouth is and truly decide to be the best I can be at this job, meaning to implement things that I might not want to do or might be extra, make my job harder, but will overall improve my program? Or am I going to ignore it and go back to the status quo and keep doing things the way I've always done them because they've worked? You know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I think, you know, the answer to that is obvious. I need to do the former. I need to implement these strategies and I need to improve It's also good just to be reminded that what we're doing here is not that easy. And it's not easy for people on the coast. It's not easy for people in the mountains. And it's not easy for people in urban areas. Plants are difficult to manage. I think overall what I take home from these conferences, though, is just to keep an open mind, to realize that I'm not alone. There are resources I can look into if I need help. And there are people who want to help me and I forget that so easily. I constantly just have it in my head that everybody's out to get me. And I even forget that I believe that sometimes. But it shapes and colors the way I see the world and the way I see you. It's not even like a chip on my shoulder or anything. I see it as like human nature. Human nature serves self-interest. So you're human, right? I assume you're going to put yourself before me. That means I got to be on guard. I got to watch out. I got to make sure that somebody's not trying to take mine. There's just a lot of situations where people will fuck you over. Not because of who you are or because they have any ill intent against you, but just because they are serving self-interest and they're selfish and they're not thinking about other people. That's just the way we are. It takes active practice to work beyond that. So it gets in my head that I can't trust people or that I can't let my guard down because if I let anybody see my failures, they're going to use them against me. That's a bad feeling. And it might be true. It might be true. People will use your failings against you. But, you know, there's just nothing you can do about that. (laughs) All you can do is take responsibility for your own actions and, you know, try to live a good life. Anyway, I'm over at Wenatchee. I've been spending my free time in my room editing this podcast that you're about to hear. And I love it. While I was driving over to Wenatchee, I listened to a podcast that I would like to share with you guys because I found it to be really, really helpful and informative. It's called the Huberman Lab podcast, Huberman Lab, and it's produced by a man named Andrew Huberman. Huberman is a teaching professor at Stanford University, and he's got a PhD in, I think, ophthalmology and neuroscience, but He says it right at the beginning of the podcast, so if I got that wrong, I apologize, but you'll hear it soon enough if you decide to pursue it. 
And anyway, his podcast is fantastic. So this particular episode that I'm referring to is called ADHD and How Anyone Can Improve Their Focus, episode 37. So if you go into Apple or Spotify and search for those terms, you should find the episode easily. It's free, and I highly recommend it. If you're somebody who struggles with focus and attention, or if you are close to somebody who struggles with focus and attention, primarily people with ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, which I myself am diagnosed with. And, you know, I am hesitant to say that a lot of the time because I don't like it. I feel like the second you say that, it drums up a bunch of these stereotypes for people, and then suddenly they disregard you or they make assumptions about you that may or may not be true. But either way, I don't like that, and I don't want to be put in a can like that and just thought of as like, oh, it's that ADHD guy. And really what my main issue is, it's not so much that people make assumptions about me that aren't true. It's that my symptomology doesn't always match up with the stereotypical profile for an ADHD patient. So I might tell somebody I have ADHD, and then they see, wait a minute, ADHD? I thought those people were like bouncing off the walls. You're kind of a calm guy. You kind of just sit there and take it in. You don't really make a big show of yourself. You don't really, you know, you're not a hyperactive person. And so it, it just feels like they're challenging me. Like I'm lying about it or something. Like I don't know what motivation any person would have to lie about that. I don't know. This podcast made me feel seen. It made me feel validated and it made me feel like I don't have to kind of reject my diagnosis because it is accurate. You'll probably sense that I have a little bit of resistance to diagnoses. And that's because in college, we had to learn all about statistical diagnoses using the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual from the American Psychological Association, which back then was the DSM-4. Now they've moved on to the DSM-5. And it is not without complications. It's not without problems. There are things about it that are just across the board acknowledged as big-time issues. And one of those is individual differences. People are all different. So if you have a list of criteria that somebody has to meet in order to receive a certain diagnosis, it's just checking boxes. And most of those boxes are checked based on self-report from the patient. So it's just it's tricky. It's tricky to know exactly what's real and what's just convenient because it is really convenient to have a list of criteria. You just ask questions to the patient. It's easy. You check a box, yes or no. And then at the end, you tally up your score and it's either a yes or a no. You either meet the criteria or you don't. And it's just, it's reductive. It's oversimplified and it's not the best system. Albeit, it is a decent system and it works. It works especially well for insurance companies and pharmaceutical manufacturers because they have a really easy way to tell who to sell the drugs to. Anyway, the Huberman lab explained some of the underlying neurology that goes along with ADHD, and in particular, some of the pathological neural firing. And that is something that I could sink my teeth into. Again, I don't know what it's like to be in other people's heads. So I don't really know how to compare your experience to my experience. And all we can go off of is just data and anecdotes. The way he describes a lot of the problems that come along with ADHD just completely hit it on the head, nailed it. So it made me feel really good, made me feel a lot less shameful and embarrassed about acknowledging my ADHD, especially as an adult. I texted Melissa after I had listened to the whole thing, and I was like, hey, you don't have to, but if you feel like knowing me better, 
listen to this podcast because that's like a snapshot into my experience of being a human. My guest today is one of my best friends. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to explain that statement a little bit because if you're close to us, you might be like, eh, best friends, really? But yeah, I really think so because I don't mean that he's my closest friend or that he's my oldest friend or whatever, that we've seen each other often. We don't. We don't. I've seen him like three times in the last 10 years, you know, not a lot. Haven't seen him much, and I don't talk to him all that often, but every time we do, it's like we had just talked last week. He's just one of those people who I connected to easily, and I just feel like we get each other, and yeah. So he's one of my best. He's got so many interesting stories. He's an excellent speaker. He's sure of himself enough to where he can you know, make a point and have an argument, but he's not arrogant about it. And he's humble enough to be able to be challenged and to reconsider things. And just overall, he's good. He's a good dude. One of the best. So I consider him one of my best friends. Also, I don't have a lot of friends. You know, I'm probably just explaining all this because I don't want him to hear this and be like, oh my God, I'm one of his best friends. (laughs) What a loser. You know, like that laughing and pitying me and all that, but no, it's true. If I had to save 10 people, ooh, that's tough. If I had to save 100 people from a meteor that was going to come hit the earth, I think I'd put Andrew on the ship, get him the fuck out of here, go out to Mars and make some Mars babies. Weird ones that are really good at music and know a lot of facts about random shit. Because that's Andrew. I've never seen somebody who's better at Jeopardy in my life, and I'm fucking good at Jeopardy, okay? Okay? This is not just, I'm not just saying this stuff. Andrew is unique. He's special. And he has dark brown hair, one stark white eyebrow. Yeah, see, now you're getting it. He's good. He's a solid human. He's one of the good ones. He's rare. He's a rare breed. So we talked about a lot of stuff in this podcast. I'm excited for you to hear it, so I won't get too much into it, but we talked about racism and like the fear of being perceived as racist, which is a really interesting topic that I think a lot of people can relate to and won't even talk about. They don't want to be seen as racist or perceived in that way at all. So it's, it's, it's a really hard thing to talk about. But we did it. We were both kind of putting ourselves out there. So I hope you enjoy it and I hope you can be kind. We did get into crypto and NFTs a little bit. So I'm giving you timestamps right now. So that you, if you don't care about that stuff, you don't have to skip this whole episode because I don't want you to lose out on all that other good stuff because there is a lot. So we start talking about crypto at 56.30, 56 minutes, 30 seconds, and we come back into normal stuff at one hour and 18 minutes. So if you zone out at 56.30, you come back in at 118.30, you should be good to go crypto free. But I highly suggest that you listen to the crypto stuff too because that's good stuff. And also, Andrew is not a crypto person. So basically, we spent the whole time just him asking me questions that I think a lot of crypto skeptics ask and me trying to give him good answers. So I hope I convinced him. I hope I'm going to convince you. I want this stuff to succeed because I think it's better than the way we do things now. The technology's there. Yeah, now look at me. I up on my soapbox again. I was just getting ready to start preaching about crypto, but I'm not going to do that now because it's just the intro and I want to get to the show. 
If you want to contact the podcast, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Ramble by the River and on Twitter at Ramble River Pod. Ramble by the River is supported by its listeners through a subscription model, which provides early access to free episodes and exclusive access to bonus episodes that you cannot find anywhere else. To become a member of the Ram Fam, go to patreon.com slash ramble by the river and select a subscription tier. Royal Ramblers, that's the $9.99 tier, will qualify for a free custom Ramble by the River t-shirt, which they will receive in the mail after their third payment. This is a nice t-shirt. It cost me $17 wholesale. So, yeah, I think that's good. I, I don't pay that much for shirts usually. I think I get six shirts for $15 at Costco, and I wear the same color every day, white. So, yeah, I sprung for the good shirts, and I hope you guys like them. They better be soft fabric. I'll be so mad if those aren't soft fabric. I hope it's a blend, like a polycotton blend. I, it is. I already know it is. What am I saying? Hope. Anyway, if you decide to go that route, become a Royal Rambler, support the show, you'll get those free bonus episodes. Make sure you add the correct shipping address and t-shirt size so that you actually get the shirt. Because I'm not sending the shirts out. Patreon does that for me. So they made the shirts out of my logo, and they are going to mail it to you. So you got to make sure that they have your correct info. Okay. Enough of me. Let's get to the show. My guest today is one of my best friends. He has all kinds of great stories. He lives in Austria and has done so for seven years. He recently changed jobs, left education to become a tech person. So now he's working in communications in the tech world, and he'll talk about that. We have a lot of great conversation about social anxiety and about the new influences of social media and how that affects anxiety levels and what it's like to be a member of this giant 7 billion person tribe. Don't forget to like, subscribe, share, all that good stuff. It's really helpful. And without further ado, please welcome my guest today, all the way from Austria, Andrew Lapidus. I could be the music changer city. Yeah. Everybody's smoking all the green. Yeah. Close the matches, they were handed down to me. But I'm still fly. I'm still fly, I know. I'm still fly. I'm still fly, let's go. It could all be worse. I could be a hater like you. It could all be to make the man, but that poison's gonna kill you. Now say it with your chest I'm now. young, I'm free Can't nobody take me here and now It's my time to run it out It's my time, it's my time It's my time to run it I'm young, I'm free Can't nobody take me Hey, man. Oh, hey, Jeff. How's it going? Pretty good. How you doing? I'm doing all right. Good to hear your voice. You too. How's your morning going? It's going very well. How's your morning going? My morning came and went. Right oh, now, yeah. It's a nice, cool evening here. It's nighttime there. I'm in the middle of an evening, actually. 7 p.m. It's about to be. Nice. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm in the office, actually. Mm, I was going to say, we your got... house is huge. 
I know it looks pretty cool. We got a pool table as well. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I, I have a pretty good working thing where we can, you know, just choose the hours we work. And so I always wake up like super, I get in at like 10 and then work later because mm-hmm. I think after rowing, I decided I never wanted to do that again. The wake like up a, early thing. Yeah. I mean, it feels like a different, I can't even believe we did that. I know you're still in the wake up early world. You, even Dude. then you would wake up early. You woke up early among rowers. I did wake up early. It's, it's just, I don't know. I'm just wired that way. It's yeah. hard to uh, it's sleep way. in. Everybody want to be big, but nobody want to lift no weights. Yeah. Do you yeah. still work out? Oh, man. Can I tell you, I've been, all, I've been aboard the Pavel train, dude. Oh, really? You're doing some kettlebells, huh? Dude, I'm doing, I'm, okay. So, yeah, I got into Pavel somehow. Pavel Tsatsulini, whatever. Yeah. The power like, to the people, power of the people, or power to the people. Is that the book? Yeah, yeah. Th- that that was the one I remember you had, and you kind of you turned me on to the kettlebells pretty early, right? I was obsessed. We were running around the forest with big rocks and stuff. Remember that? Yeah. Oh, did I remember it? Sometimes I think of that rock still up there. Yeah, I'm sure yeah, it we is. Were, Where would it go? Yeah, we were running barefoot through the woods and carrying a boulder. Carrying boulders, yeah. Somehow at the time it seemed like a real. You know, real like, hey, look at how natural we are in our five fingers running shoes. Yeah, we were already um, wearing the goofy shoes. We were such early adopters of that. For real. Like right yeah. away. Didn't we read Born to Run at the same time? I think so. Yeah. And I remember really getting on that at a time when no one had seen it. Like I remember first getting them when it was cool. People would be like, oh, man, what are those shoes? And be like, oh, you know, like, you know, you can feel it with the toes and everything. And I remember it being cool for a while. And then it, it then it really sunk to just the bottom. We, 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 oh, the, yeah. the pendulum swung deep in the other way. It's, it, it, it became very uncool. Yeah. 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 Now the it's problem. somewhere in the middle. Right. Now it's, now it's something else. But yeah, no. So I've been on Pavel train. Oh, I, yeah. Um, so let's hear about got, that. What? He's got a new book. It's called Simple and Sinister. Right. Oh, that sounds good. Oh, Jeff, you'd love it. You'd love it. Because it's simple, first of all, right? That's, it's just yeah. two, it's like all of his books. It's just two workouts, right? It's simple. It's the get up and the kettlebell swings one-handed, right? It's basically every day or every other day. You just swing though. You do like 10 by 10 sets of the swings. Uh-huh. And then you do five get ups with each arm. And then the last command of the book, the last sentence is repeat until strong. <laughs> That's great. So is it yeah. like a, it's a plan you got to follow? Yeah, it's a plan, but what's great about it is it's not, it's a plan, but it's the plan is do this every day and slowly increase the weight. And you know, it sounds simple, but honestly, in a world where it's like, I've got, I've got a lot of things to think about and I don't want to think about like, you know, planning workouts or like today's a recovery week or today's, you know, it's just good to be in a situation where you just wake up, you do it. And then you just, the kettlebells keep getting heavier and you have that like mental, uh, you have the satisfaction of seeing like, oh, I couldn't lift that. I couldn't lift that six mo- six weeks ago or I couldn't swing it. Now I'm swinging that every day. Do you have big. to buy new kettlebells as you go? Yeah. Do you have a whole yeah. set or something? I have a 24, a 28, a 32, and now a 40 kilograms. kilograms. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm a kilogram man now. You know, I don't... I, how could you not be? Over there, you, you really don't, they don't probably give you much of a choice. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. So what you been up to, man? Uh, should we, should we begin? Have we begun? Is this yeah, let's how... just, let's just roll into it. 
Okay. Well, let's just roll into it. I like that. Yeah. Though I'll tell you what, Jeff, if you really want an update on me. And I do. Oh, dude, your yeah. setup is absolutely legit. It really is, dude. I, I fucking love it out here. Yeah. It's my happy place. Dude, I wish I could see like your shed, you know? Yeah, you don't probably come to the states very much anymore, huh? It's not like college. Okay, when on, let me, let me. I gotta, I gotta get something that'll actually do this. I'm afraid to break it on office furniture, you know? Like, oh yeah, snap off the. the yeah, edge. don't do that. You think I was about to? Do, okay. Is it wood? Yeah, it's wood with like a yeah. vinyl. Got to respect wood. Do you respect wood? I respect wood. Okay, I'm just asking. <laughs> All right. Shout out, Larry David. Not a lot of situations where I can make a obscure Larry David reference and know the person on the other side is going to understand it. But Andrew is one of the people who will. He actually is the guy who turned me on to Seinfeld. I didn't really ever watch it much. I, I watched a little bit before Andrew, but he used to quote it all the time in college. And I would be curious. That, I don't know. He made me curious. So I checked it out. And it turns out it's a gold mine of comedy. It's a great show. All right, yeah. here we are. Cheers. Cheers, my Cheers. friend. I'm going to fake Point. the opening sound and get a good. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do that in post. Perfect, perfect. We'll get a good echo on that. Maybe a good. Yeah, and then the. Uh... Yeah, I want that feel. I want that end of the workday feel. But I'll tell yeah. you, I what I've been thinking about lately is I thank God every day that I have this job. I'll tell you. We talked a little bit last time about, you know, being, being in, in Europe and sort of doing the whole expat thing. And one of the sort of the, the subtext of the whole expat lifestyle is visas, you know, and the piece of paper, the pieces of paper you need to be in a different country. You had that one really good podcast, you know, with, um, I can't remember the name. Mario Rodriguez. Right, right. But that was a really, um, you know, that was quite a document you produced there. Visas but, are important. It's it's really rough. It's really rough. So um, one of the things that uh, during the pandemic that was uh, uh, I lost the job that I had based on the pandemic, which meant I lost the visa. And I had a real, real rough patch there where it looked like, you know, because my, my life here is I've been here so long that it feels like, you know, there's no there's no easy way to get out. Right. This is this is where my home is. This is where my, you know, my uh, my professional contacts are, this is where I've been, you know, for the last seven years. But when I lost the job, you know, that just, that's the, the clock starts immediately. And if you can't find another one, you're done. And you got to go back tail between your legs, back to the, back to the homeland, which wouldn't be a disaster, but you know, I, I I'd live, but it's, it's a tough thing, you know, it's a tough thing, all the, all the visa stuff. So I thank God every day that I found this new job and that's that, that I, I, it's kept me here. And it's so what are you doing in the new job? Well, I'm working for a software company. I'm in the, the tech world now doing communications. Okay. So what does that entail? What's your day to day like? Well, basically I'm working with languages here. So it's a, obviously an Austrian company. Everybody's talking German. Everybody's talking Austrian. Um, but a lot of their call, a lot of their customers are in, in the United States, in other places in Europe, because, you know, English is kind of becoming this whole Euro lingua franca, a lingua anglo, if you will. Right. Hmm. And um, yeah, I, I just kind of 
make content. I write articles for them. I, I, I'm like the, the public facing English speaking content that they write is all okay. is going through me and making sure that that, that happens. So it's really cool because it's, it's a bit of a departure. It's a bit, a bit, a bit of far away from teaching where I was in academia, where I thought I was going to be, mm-hmm. but it's immensely more satisfying and immensely more, you know, immensely more just secure, you know, teaching is, is rough, dude, as I'm sure, you know, you've had teachers on. Yeah. Teaching's, teaching's it, tough. And I was in a situation where I didn't know how I would get out of teaching, but it was clear to me that I could not be, I was not going to be a teacher. Because of just the job conditions, you didn't like it or it wasn't something you were cut out for? Well, I'll tell you, I, well, it's not that it wasn't cut out. I mean, I felt like I was a good teacher, but you know who the really good teachers are? The good teachers are, I, I went into teaching because I was like, well, I'm really excited by the subject matter, right? I want to be able to read Grapes of Wrath with the kids and we'll talk about it and, and I'm, I'll be great at facilitating that kind of, you know, a lot of learning. I was all about the learning. But what I saw when I was teaching is that it, the really great teachers and they were truly like saints, you know, like I would never, they were truly like some of the best people you met are great teachers, colleagues that I have teaching in Bellingham, but they were the people, not that they were great at bringing instruction in or the experts in their subject, but it would be the kind of people who knew to give the kid what he needed. Maybe it wasn't even the subject matter, right? Maybe you got a kid that's currently homeless, right? It's not going to, I'm doing that kid a disservice if I'm sitting there talking about, you know, German conjugations, right? If I'm conjugating verbs with the homeless kid, I'm really failing the kid, you know? Likewise, kids that, you know, I I had some kids that I was having a real struggle with. And I asked like colleagues, like, how can I deal with him? What can I do? And their response was something along the lines of, you know what? I I know this kid. And I think the best thing you could do was be a stable male presence, a male adult presence in his life. That's what you can do for him. It was clear that like, you know, the people that were doing that were saints. And I think there's a little bit of me that was too arrogant to want to do that. A yeah. little bit of me that felt intimidated to do that. A little bit, a little bit of me that felt scared to do that. You know, it's quite terrifying out there. And so I don't know. It sounds like you're kind of saying the people who are the best teachers are not necessarily the ones who are in love with learning as much as the ones who are in love with students teach and just like, Oh, it's in love with students. That's probably the wrong terminology, but you know, People that are, I guess, people who just are passionate about, yeah, (laughs) without, without fucking them though. Right. That happens. We don't want to, we don't want to confuse the issue. Really give their all, give a piece of their body even to the, but not their penis, not their heart. You're right. You're totally right. And I think that's something that I, I probably missed, you know, when you think back on school, of course, it seems obvious, right? You think about eighth grade, you think about, you obviously don't think about, you know, the, the actual subject matter that was imparted or like, wow, this teacher was great at, at facilitating a Socratic seminar. Like, no, of course not. You remember like the teacher that did something to you or, or you know, gave you a, a shot or showed you something about yourself you didn't know. And I don't know if I could, I don't know if I could, I could handle that. Oh, I think you're, I think I lost you. All right, we're back. Sorry, I accidentally uh-huh. muted it. This mic has touch buttons, which mm. 
attention all technology people stop putting motherfucking touch buttons on everything stop touch buttons oh my god if i can't feel the button put at least a little lump on it or something i don't want to just fumble around my, my headphones these sony headphones they have this is all right here mm-hmm. i you can't see anything on there because i can't either but that's all buttons it's all it looks just like a flat black surface and i'm supposed to just memorize where to tap for buttons oh, so if i grab my headphones to adjust them i'm pushing buttons that i don't even see or know are there and my mic has it too it's like we get it you're fancy you can do expensive yeah. things just make a regular ass button you know they start with a good idea a sleek design you know into you know but then they take it too far yeah you know it's now like a touch screen but it's always black dog i have a new apple mouse i i got the mouse like yeah oh this one okay i don't okay yes that's it did you watch some youtube videos about how to use it first no i did not let's hear your opinion what's your review okay well this is what i got this just thinking oh cool apple products right now i know this will be a controversial statement but if i could pick one company to take over the world it might be apple it might be apple i'd at least pick them over google right oh for sure so I just figured, oh, I'll be fine just getting a, getting an Apple mouse here, right? I'll treat myself. It's going to be just great. Like I, I got an Apple pencil. I couldn't believe it. You know, it's the kind of thing. Oh, you got one too? Oh, thank you, I Steve. I love them. I love thank them. Thank you, Steve. Let me I'm an out. Apple guy. Going out. Me too. Me too. Dude, I'm all so, Apple the fuck out right now. I got, I'm all right. surrounded. Yes. It's, yes. It's the best. Go off. Yes. We, we love We fancy Apple. up here. Yeah. Yeah. What is the guy? Go, oh, go off, Tim. Yes. Tim Cook, right? Good, good. No, so I got that. Uh, I got that Apple pencil, right? Just took, got it out of the whim and got it on a whim, right? And God damn it, if that wasn't the best thing, I like a stylus, just perfect in every way, right? So tight, you know, so like one pixel. Yes, so tight. Pressure just right in the right, right in the right spots. You know, holds a charge it, forever. Holds a charge forever. You can, you know, uh, what. Uh, just the weight of it in your hand. That's what oh, struck it's me. weighty. Just feeling in your hand is beautiful, beautiful. So I thought, oh, I'm safe getting this Apple mouse. All right. I, first of all, I pull out the mouse. I'm all excited. I put it on. I put my hand on it. Jesus Christ. I have to fucking dislocate my wrist to get my hand around this mouse. All right. It just immediately feels like what is happening here. Right. Next thing I know, I'm, 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 I'm moving around. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do my regular computer actions, right? You yeah. know, I'm aware that Mac's not big on the right click. They have never been big on the right click. But I didn't realize that it would just be so unintuitive to be able to, like, you know, to, to, to just click and drag stuff. There's two different pressures of, of clicking, you know? Yeah, it's the same way on the laptop. Yeah. And, it, and you know what? Okay, maybe you're, you're – I feel like you're going to tell me there's a YouTube – clip that shows me how great it is but honestly if i've got if i've got to watch youtube if i've got to watch youtube to use this product what's going on apple that's not that's not the apple i know you're better than that come on tim come on tim okay let me let me okay i got it i gotta break in here i gotta okay go off go off this is what i think happened this is what i think happened with the apple mouse the so it's the touch mouse correct it's called the magic mouse magic mouse that's right magic mouse um and it has touch features on it that a normal mouse won't have so like the outside of the mouse like the outer surface is a is a touch screen just like we were just talking about with these touch magic touch buttons right, so right. um like 
to, to look at the thing, it doesn't appear to have any buttons, no clicks and no wheel. So it's like, oh, what does this thing even do? But then you put your hand on it and you scroll with your finger like this. Uh-huh. It starts scrolling. You mm, scroll to the yeah. side like this. You just flick like that. Yeah. Stuff starts flicking. Right. It is amazing. Right. Right. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, shit. This thing's not so bad. Also, you put your whole hand on it. You cover your your whole hand covers it. It's not like a normal right? mouse where it just sits in your fingertips. It's like okay. your hand rests on it. And well, I'm doing it. I'm doing it real wrong then, because now you see why I dislocated my entire hand to be able. Exactly, to... it's dangerous, man. You got to look into this stuff ahead of time, just for so safety. Right now, I've I've done this thing where I'm like getting my thumb and pinky on the sides. I'm like clawing that. Uh-huh. I'm resting there, and then I'm like putting my fingers over the top. You know, like a like a I call it the scorpion style. Uh huh. So my thumb doesn't even touch the mouse when I'm using it most. Oh, yeah, it does. My bad. I don't know. Well, so I will say this, though. There are features of this mouse that I still don't know what they do, because every Mm -hmm. once in a while I'll be, you know, just mousing around and all of a sudden my pages will just flip or like it'll go to the side. And and I'll like, oh, I moved my my pointer finger on the side of the mouse a little bit. I don't know what that was about. So that because of that, I assume some some like unboxing tip videos out there for YouTube where it's like hey, they're, they're, these are some features of this mouse that you might not know about. So mm-hmm. I assume they are that they exist, but it's it's okay. And what I think happened with Apple on this is this they're is like, what I'm interested in it. yeah. Look, guys, we got to fix these little touchpads and and these mice mouses. Mm. Is it mouses for this kind of mouse, or is it? I think mice? actually it might be mouses. Hmm. Well, that sounds dumb, but I'm going to say it anyway. What do you think? Is it Walkmans or is it Walkmen? It's Walkmans. That sucks, but it is. It's a trademark name. Um, so they're like, we got to fix this. Up until they started doing these giant touchpads on the, the laptops, which are awesome. Mm-hmm. Also, mm-hmm. it's it's pressure sensitive. It's got all this these different functions. You barely even need the mouse. But right. the, the mouse has a lot of the same features. And they just... I think the reason it's not intuitive is because we are used to the shittier versions that we grew up with, that we have practiced on and learned how to use for mm-hmm. years and years and years. Yeah. I had such a hard time with this touchpad when I first got it because it doesn't have a, a button. Is that an the, Apple touchpad, that external Apple touchpad? It's on the computer, but it's, oh, okay. it's big. It's like twice the size of a normal laptop touchpad. It's mm. like, I don't know, it's like six inches across and like four inches tall. So it's, it's large. And, um, but because of that, you can like grab stuff and, and you can pull it across your entire screen instead of just having to like, you know how you have with a little one, you got to like move it and then pick up your finger and like all the drag and drop stuff that Apple is so into, which I fucking mm-hmm. hate, by the way. That's the only thing I do not love about Apple is is making everything revolve around drag and drop functionality, like mm-hmm. importing files yeah. into into apps and things like that, or even just like installing a new app on your computer. You have to yeah. download it, download the downloader, yeah. and then download it, and then drag the file into your applications folder. It's just like, no, with you. I, I don't want to. People do that. trying to do too much. People trying to make some big philosophical statement with all this. People are yes. like, like I think that the thing behind that in Apple, they're like, oh, people want to interact with the digital world like they interact with a physical world, right? You know, like you want to be able to. Everything should be moved in a physical way between things, dragged and dropped. But you know, we can also just think. Yeah. It's like fucking learn that. Yeah. And, but I will say though, now that I've had some time to practice with both the touchpad and the magic mouse, I love them both. And I, and now when I go to my work computer, 
and try to use it's which is a PC and try to use that touchpad. I, I forget my hand is just like, I don't know how to use this caveman mm. archaic yeah. bullshit. It's like, yeah, absolutely. No magic. There's no magic in this mouse. There's no magic in that mouse. I don't like the name either, but okay. So tell me, I feel like we're in a time when billionaires, if I can use that derogatory term, when billionaires are, are have never been more maligned than, than, well, I, I maybe that's a big statement. It's a time when billionaires are really not not uh, the yellow of the egg, as we would say. People don't like them. People don't like them. Don't like them. People don't like them. The question is, you know. So, so I'm guessing you're going to come on down on the side of like these billionaires, especially Elon Musk. I'd like to touch on you with that because I don't know much about it, except that I know that every, a lot of people I respect hate him and a lot of people I respect or seem to be big fans of him. Mm-hmm. But you're going to come down on the side of like, you know, billionaires. It doesn't mean you're immoral to become a billionaire. You know, billionaires are uh, billionaires are just like the rest of us. Good ones and bad ones. Is that right? Is that a fair? I, I right? happen to believe that. Yes. And I grew up with a chip on my shoulder about people who had money especially people mm. who were born into money. I was like, you yeah. lucky motherfuckers. I just mm. didn't, I just didn't have any kind of love for those people. And then I realized as I grew uh, that those people didn't have any control over that. They weren't, they didn't choose to be born rich. Just like I didn't choose to be born poor. Like it's just mm-hmm. how their life shook out. And who is going to turn away advantage when it, when it comes knocking nobody. So mm-hmm. there's really no reason to hold any of that against those people. People who you could hold something against are the ones who use malicious acts and, you know, unethical behaviors to gain their their wealth. That's not mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'll never know who did and who didn't and completely. You know, even the people we trust might have done things we don't know about. And the ones that we think are villains like Donald Trump, he might not be any worse than any of the rest. I'm not going to yeah, say well, it's great because then we know that that's not the fact. The guy has definitely made some very very public faux pas you know i mean but, none come to mind but i'll take your word for it pussy grabbing you'll never forget oh, pussy grabbing yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just, when you say donald trump faux pas it just i was drawn a blank i couldn't think of a single i just there's almost none. too many yeah there really are too no i think that was a serious problem you know just like absolutely overwhelming amount of you know it's like hitting a moving target okay so you're gonna you're you think just sort of the amount of money might be inconsequential but how they got the money it's it's that's more that's more relevant right to to the public but not to them you know what i think matters to them Tell the money and that's mm. it and they don't give a fuck about what we think about them but then that statement makes it sound like billionaires are probably not that great well, I, that's the thing is I think that some of them are, some of them aren't. I don't think it's a category that you can use to mm. understand people like that. I think it's mm-hmm. a category that you can use to know how much money they have, and that's about it. As far as morals, ethics, beliefs, and all that stuff, I think billionaires are across the board just like everyone else. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do think you know, there's, used to, there's used more to billionaires be now than there's ever been. And um, there's, I True. mean. But that's just, yeah. There's, I guess there wasn't even billionaires around before because money was worth a lot more. But yeah, there'll probably be more and more all the time. You know who used to be my argument when people would be like, ah, oh, billionaires are pieces of shit. Bill I Gates. used to have one. No, I used to have an argument to be like, oh, really? All billionaires? What about blank? Who do you think it was? My guess would be Bill Gates. It was fucking J.K. Rowling, bro. Oh, J.K. Rowling, you brought it back. It was always, I'm sorry to bring it back there. I'm sorry to bring it back there. But she was always my example of like 
you know, you're talking about billionaires. What about this person who got richer by making the world a more literate, magical place? Not even the apple's mice could do that. That used to always be my argument. Of course, now that's a little bit dead for reasons which we have all gone into. Yeah. Yeah. But tell me, okay, I think I'm with you on that. I think I'm with you on that with the billionaires and stuff. I think there's there's probably good and bad ones. I would love to get your vibe on Elon Musk. You know a lot more about Tesla. You're a Tesla boy. You got money in the Tesla bank, right? A little bit. Whether it's Bitcoin or, you know, equities. I have a little bit of, of a Tesla stock. Tell and me, yeah, what's going on with Elon Musk? Should I hate him? Should I love him? Is he just a lucky son of a bitch? Or is he really like a doer? Is he a... Is he a, a doer, right? Well, is, he a Henry, think, is he a Henry Ford or is he, you know, like a, a Bruce Wayne? Oh, he's definitely. Well, I don't know. I like both of those guys. Yeah, I guess that was a really <laughs> stupid comparison. It could be both. Is he um, Superman or Batman? No, it's no. Is he see. like, you know, is he a is he a real like mover? Is he a genius here or is he just kind of like, well, he, he he hit the right combination on the lock and someone had to get billion someone had to be a billionaire with electric cars and he's the guy because i think he is one of the few people who are who are famous for being a billionaire who doesn't care about being a billionaire i don't think that's what drives him so i read a, a biography of him that came out around the time that spacex was really struggling i don't think they had made any successful they maybe had like one big successful launch or something but it was before SpaceX was what it is today. And it just really talked about how, how many times Elon Musk has gone to the very height and then crashed back down. And he usually does that because he invests a lot of stuff into new projects and into mm-hmm. other businesses and into back into the business. And I think that he really takes a lot of risk because what he actually cares about is, is bettering our species. And he, so he's willing to go broke to, to create what he wants to create and then so he'll take risks and then they pay off. So now he's a billionaire and he's one of the most influential people in history just simply because he had ideas and he took risks and he works his ass off to accomplish them. So let's try to get to the bottom of that. Let me ask you this. Is that really, could that really be true that like his, do you think really think his prime motivation is making, improving our species, right? Do, I really do. His, do. I really, really, really do. do. I mean, does, yeah. isn't it? I mean, because from my not knowing anything perspective, it seems like to me that the, from the outside, these seem like very self-aggrandizing schemes, right? He's not out there developing a malaria, whatever. I'm sure malaria, whatever the, I think that's the technical term for treatment. But, you know, it, it, from the outside, they seem like very, you know, big, you know, Bruce Wayne style things, right? Not the, yeah. if there were no Batman, Bruce Wayne. Well, I think yeah, that I have a way with words, don't I? You know way, what I'm saying. Right? The way to look at it is, is that he's, he's looking at problems in a forward direction. So rather than looking backwards and thinking like, all right, well, what's been killing people? What's been, been giving people the deathly shits for the last hundred years? Malaria. So maybe I'll cure malaria. He's looking forward and be like, what's going to kill everybody? Robots and, you know, cataclysmic events. So let's work on those. And so that's what he's doing. He's he's forward forward thinking. So and he he genuinely believes. I've heard him talk about it a lot of times. He gets kind of weird and choked up when he talks about it. He thinks that our species' demise is imminent, and that it's going to be if we don't become an interplanetary species, we will be doomed to no longer exist. 
And so that's what he's working on. And, and that's kind of a noble pursuit. I also wanted to say that the thing about chasing money is it's money is, is not really anything special. It's, it's just what it, it's power, it's energy, it's economic energy. And so it, it, and influence, it just creates fuel for, for you to make impact in the world and for you to change your own life and the lives of mm-hmm. people around you. So there always is another motivation. Why do you want the money? So like a lot of people are driven by money and would admit that, but why do they need that money or why do they want that money? Is it because they want that sense of security that comes with having money? Is it because they want to use it to, to buy a bunch of shit to impress people because they think that will bring them happiness? What is it that they're actually after? You can peel it back and, and figure it out. And I really think that with Elon Musk, he's after these big moves that are going to you know, propel our species into the next chapter, which is pretty mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it all sounds really, it sounds really big when you put it that way. I mean, it does it does have a flavor like from the outset. Isn't there just sort of still like, can't you admit at least some of it is just like a desire for, like you know, big name things, right? Making part of the making big moves is about being like Elon Musk is sort of a Howard Hughes kind of guy. Howard Hughes, that's what Howard I should Hughes. Say, right? Right. Just sort of like, yeah, okay, he's doing something noble, but noble in the sense of like, wow, he's pushing the boundaries and getting his name attached to something that's really huge. I'm not saying that's not a great thing. Right. And the more I talk about it, the more I'm realizing I'm maybe holding this guy to a standard, which is just kind of ridiculous. Right. Because who doesn't want to be have their name attached to something great and noble. But um, yeah, I, I think you're making a lot of good points. I think. That- Why do you think this? Where do you think this like? I mean, okay, maybe maybe I should ask it this way. Do you also feel like we're in a time when people with a lot of money are, are more maligned than ever before? Oh, for like sure. Bezos and everything. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I think it's um, because people are unhappy and they're and they're seeing these other people who have all when you have no money, it's so easy to hate people with money. It's really easy. And it's almost hard not to. And because their life just looks so easy, it's this whole other layer of fucking bullshit that they don't ever have to think about that you have to think about every moment of the day and it sucks it's like but and there's a lot of poor people the 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 wealth gap is is enormous and growing every Mm -hmm. day the rich are getting richer and the rest are getting fucked so yeah and it's going to get worse because we we're having a labor crisis jobs are available but they're not jobs anybody wants to do so we have a bunch of open jobs that nobody wants to fill because they don't pay enough and the work sucks and then we have a bunch of people who are qualified to work at better jobs and those jobs aren't available. So it's just like things are going to get even worse, I think. And so, yeah, people yeah. are looking up at these smiling billionaires and kind of just being like, hey, fuck you. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't feel that way. You don't feel that's justified. I do think it's justified because people are allowed oh, okay. to feel however they want. But okay. I personally, if I was having those feelings... I used to have those feelings all the time. I, I, I try to correct it. I, I, I really try to be self-aware. And when I'm doing things, when I'm falling into like traps of the psyche, traps of the ego that make you feel like you're being wronged when you're really not, or make it feel like the world's out to get you somehow. I try to recognize that stuff and put an end to it because it's not helpful. And a lot of people are, not only do they, they don't, they're not self-aware enough to think about it, but they actually avoid thinking about it. They don't want to know the traps that they've fallen into their own self 
you know, delusions. People just want to mm-hmm. keep believing what they believe. Mm-hmm. And that's what I believe. And I want to keep believing it. I like it. Let me try to play a little bit of devil's advocate here. I get what you're saying. I mean, there's definitely, so you think about like the big, so like the company I work for is pretty large, right? In terms of the money they're bringing in, right? There's a lot of revenue made every year. They make software, right? They make apps, which are done on a subscription. They're sold on a subscription basis, right? Which means that just the number of jobs in a company this size for, for, the, for their revenue is just completely out of step with the way the world worked the last, you know, 100 years or whatever. 80 people. That's for, pretty small. Um, it's quite small for a company that, I mean, it's a, it's a heavy, heavy, a lot of money flying around. Let's put it that way. There's a big investments of, of you know, yeah, many millions of dollars flying around, right? And the, the revenue coming in is many millions of dollars per year, right? Mm-hmm. Like meaning factors of 10, right? Um, and it's just out of step that there would be a business like that. Like, I guess if you imagine like take a city, you know, like a, like a auto plant, right? That's what I was going to suggest. Exactly. Like a, the, think the about, Ford factory. Think about this level of revenue, but in a factory, right? You just need more people right? There's just wealth is just clearly immediately spread by its own virtue, right? You compare that to Instagram, which pulls unbelievable amounts of money and like, yeah, they'll need to scale up, I guess, like the support staff that do, you know, check coat, make sure no nipples are slipping through. Exactly. But I mean, that's just, it's just not the same thing, right? So uh, that's just completely different, right? It's a completely different. I think I know what you're talking about. The, The scale has changed. The scale has totally changed, right? Do you think then, don't you have sympathy for the argument that it's it's on people that are in those positions like e- Bezos or whomever? It's on those people to see that and to to take fundamental steps to, to, to change the way the economy works, right? Do you think that people, do, don't you think it's, it's um, legitimate to, for people to gripe about it in that sense? Not like, I know people do be like, People do be like, oh, fucking, you got all this money, just fuck off for being successful. Not in that way, but in the way that like, hey, you guys are forward seeing, forward thinking, you guys see how the world is changing. You see me sitting here with my bachelor's degree and, uh, you know, not having any any work. Why can't we make the change? Why are you taking active steps to not make that happen? Why are you accruing such a redonkulous amount of money? Yeah. Okay. I get what you're asking. And I... Yeah, I'd have to say I do agree with that statement. I do think it's their responsibility to to look to the future and try to see the problems and see the opportunities to solve them ahead of time. But also, at the same time, they're they're just human beings like everybody else. They don't have to save us just because they can. I hope they mm-hmm. do. If I was in their position, I would hope that I would try to make those choices to better humanity. But I think it's probably really hard. And also, there's probably a lot of distractions because they have the world is at their fingertips also what are the steps to take exactly are you an, are you a ubi man uh i go back and forth but universal okay. basic income is something that i i think is going to become a major part of of the united states yeah. um yeah. financial setup you weren't a you you saw you you liked my comment where i, I, I was full of yang gang oh I'm yeah sure you, yeah yeah i was full of yang gang dude you know what by the way side note I don't really post to Twitter, but I just mostly retweet and stuff. I had my first like experience of how Twitter is such a horrible thing. Oh, really? Because I posted when Yang dropped out, 
Andrew Yang, presidential candidate. Yang dropped out of the race and I posted is kind of a half joke. Like, I'll always believe hashtag Yang Gang. And I posted a link to Starry Starry Night, the Don McLean thing, you know, about Vincent Van Gogh, you know. One of my it's very favorite joke. songs. Uh, absolutely. Ellie Golding covered it, did a great job. Who? Ellie Golding. She's like a British mm. pop singer. It's a really good song. It's an Don McLean's better, but yeah. Oh. Sorry. Yeah, you know, okay, Don McLean. That's another. I got. I got a lot of. Hot we can takes come back to Don McLean. I love Don. McLean. Let's come back to Don McLean. He coming. He's coming to Austria. Really? Yeah. Oh, dog. He looks so redonkulous. He looks like a parody of a baby boomer, like former rock star. Anyways, James so, Taylor's right there with him. Jackson Brown. It's a all those sad. guys. It's a little sad. Um, but um, you know, time's coming for us all. Blah blah blah. But going back to that that that. Twitter situation. So I posted that thing, right? And you know, when you hashtag it, it becomes like a uh it becomes, you know, people see it, right? People yeah. see it because they people have a filter for a certain hashtag or whatever. So my Yang Gang hashtag and my kind of tongue-in-cheek thing that I thought maybe my five five friends who regularly check Twitter would see. Someone out there saw that and decided to comment, someone I don't know, and they commented two words with a period at the end. And the comment was fucking pathetic. <laughs> and uh, I'll tell you what, this guy, this, this, this dude out there, he probably took up a total 24 waking hours of my thought, right? This guy who I like looked into all what he was. I looked into his profile. I was like, who does he think he is? What does he think he's doing? Just inside. He doesn't even know who I am. Right thinking about it and then get, eventually getting into like these horrible fantasies about like, what should I write on his shit? Like, what does he love? What can I break that he has? You know, maybe he's, I don't even you know. get his comment. Dude. Why is that fucking pathetic? Yeah. I, maybe he thought it was a, he, he, who knows? I who think knows? it's a great yeah. comment. I would have liked it. Thank you. You did like it dog. Okay. Well, right like on, it. right on. Yeah. Yeah. No, so I mean that that plays Twitter. Just God, I, I just uh, saw Twitter, firsthand dude. for the first time the how it, it it's destructive. It can just it just really can take you take you on a. Isn't that insane? The level of like biological reaction you can have just off of something yeah. so small, like it, it feels really like a insane. real threat to your life, your existence. Yeah. Even though yeah. it's it's so not, dude. I actually have one of those. I I'll, I'll share, <laughs> and it involved you. Um, just recently, oh, I, I don't even want to talk about this because it's embarrassing. But so we we're chatting about this, uh, just as some backstory for the, the audience. Andrew and me are separated by oceans and hours of time difference. So we chat. It's, it's not like back and forth, back and forth, like a normal person in the same time zone would chat. Like sometimes we don't hear back from each other for days and it's, it's just not a big deal. We're, uh, chatting about scheduling this podcast. And I was like, so we on for tomorrow? And you're like, yep. And I was going to send you a, a GIF. So I like go looking through the GIF selection. I find one. Uh, it's a clip from training day of Denzel Washington. And he's like, he's saying that phrase that is like my buddy, but not buddy. Mm -hmm. And right. um, that is how I was feeling. And that's the sentiment I wanted to convey. Like, all right, my man going to be there for me. And right. um. But I was like, I can't send this meme. This meme is not for me. I, I'm not allowed to use this. So I wrote to you instead. I was like, hey, I had this meme, Denzel Washington. I'm not going to send it, but you just have to picture it. 
And then um, after I sent that, I realized like, you know, even just talking about using that meme <laughs> maybe was a little bit inappropriate. And I, I probably shouldn't have even done that. And then you like you didn't write me back right away. And I started thinking like, oh, shit, maybe he just and I, like we know each other good enough to I, I know, you know, that I'm not a racist, but I uh -huh. didn't know if maybe you just didn't know how to respond to that um, to, without being like, I don't know. And so you think for, I, was just, I was preparing to just drag you onto. I was taking screenshots. I was doing the whole. Not not that. But I thought that I had made you uncomfortable. And I was just like, fuck, why did I say that? Why do I even have to bring up race? What the fuck is your problem? You stupid white idiot. And <laughs> just got a spiral from there. And um, yeah. So then the next time. And then spoiler talked, alert, I wasn't there for you. You canceled. I canceled. Yeah. Um, and I was like, yep, definitely thinks oh, I'm a God, racist. Dude. Fuck. What did I do that for you? Idiot. Oh, and then we, yeah, we rescheduled. Then you said that you forgot your girlfriend's birthday and it was the day we had scheduled the podcast. I, I was did. like, oh, that's, yeah. that's definitely reasonable. Yeah, you should, you should cancel. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah. So then I was like, okay, that makes sense. And then I was like, well, maybe his girlfriend saw it. She doesn't know me. She now thinks I'm definitely a racist. And I was like, oh God, this is. And then I started realizing like, you know what? Five years from now, regardless of how this shakes out, are you going to care? No, you're not. And I just stopped thinking about it. Just a quick couple, three weeks later, I felt fine. Like it's all that anxiety and those sleepless nights, they just stopped happening. It's just like, right. oh, all the, and look, look at us now. Yeah, look <laughs> at us now. Fine. We got through this. We got through this. Um, can, I, can, I, can I explain to you my thought process during this whole yeah, thing? Yeah, please all do. Right, so my thought, here, let me explain my thought process. Right now, I can vaguely remember you saying something about Training Day. I've never seen Training Day. I didn't understand the reference. It immediately went into my eyes, into my brain. Didn't really get computed because I didn't understand it. It went right out, and I never thought about it again until you exactly just said that. Exactly how that stuff is supposed to work. And I and I and I <laughs> I had to just think really hard to like remember that you said anything. And even now, you probably could have made it up, and I would just think, okay, yeah, I think I remember that. So yeah. it, was, it wasn't significant. That's my whole point is that like yeah. just that yeah. little tiny thing was enough right. to like send me down a to where I had to actively take measures to not think about you or the podcast yeah. or Germany because yeah. it was going to give me a pang of anxiety in my belly. And oh, I was just damn, like, man. oh, my God, this and it's and this is happening to people every day all over the world because of yeah. the influence of the Internet. Yeah. Everything well, like written way... down forever. <laughs> yeah, that will oh, fuck. That's another. Dude, I'm sure you've had the experience of seeing your previous text or something you've written. Dude, I had a thing I was showing my girlfriend, who, by the way, is a little bit on the, um, you know, uh, like the 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 um, Mad Max level of social justice, right? If I That's what I that assumed. Way. A lot right, of people yeah. are these so, days. That's fine. Exactly. Exactly. No, but I was like showing her a video. I had a YouTube of my like self when I was, I think, 16 in high school. At the time, I thought it would be great. It was 2006. YouTube was new. And I had like a little YouTube camera, you know, mm -hmm. like it, you have it on your phone. And I would just film my days. So we were filming and it was my last day of school. And we're filming it and just going through there. I've since deleted the, the link. It's just a private video now you can't find. But, you know, I'm going through and like we're saying stuff. And then all of a sudden I see this, this girl. Her name was Samantha. Right? I won't say the name, but I, it was like, uh, I, I, I saw her and in my 16 year old self, I said, that's fine, fine. She possesses the grandest ass in all of Columbia River High School, right? 
Okay, uh-huh. not so bad. Shout and out Samantha. Like but it was a little bit, you know, like, okay, okay. A little objectifying. Okay, but, but still, okay, okay, okay. I get into the car, right? And my friend calls me and they're filming me talking to him. And the joke we were going to do was that he was asking to hang out and I was going to lie and pretend like I couldn't go. But I was there with all the friends. It was like a stupid joke, right? More like, oh, I'll lie and pretend I can't go. So I answer the phone when he calls and we're all sitting there and I'm watching this with my girlfriend here in present day, you know, as a 31 year old straight white male. And my friend Brock calls and says, hey, Andy, you want to hang out? And I sit there and say to him, you know, Brock, I really can't. My mom's being a real faggot right now. Oh, no. <laughs> and it, it just like, it was just horrible. It was horrible. I mean, I even shouldn't have bleep it out right now. Bleep that out in post, right? No. It was, that was a moment of, of just real embarrassment, right? I have another uh, F word anecdote as well, if you if you want. Yeah, please, please. I like to talk about that one in particular because that was a word that was so, so common and such a part yeah. of my in my life in particular because my dad Absolutely. used to call me a faggot. Yeah. Um, so I didn't really like it. I wasn't even aware that of what it meant. I didn't wasn't aware that it meant homosexual. Oh, right? I was well aware. Okay, <laughs> you might have had a different thing. I, I well, when I I didn't understand that people were actually gay for a while. Like, really? I remember it being explained to me, and I was just like, no, that's not a thing. Like I thought people were just like bullshitting, you know. Somebody's like, just trying to get you to suck a little dick and make a fool of yourself. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, look at like, this no, guy. People he don't do that. It. Believed it. Here I was, like you know, dancing to YMCA. Anyways, I can remember the last time I said that. And it was late enough that I was personally disgusted by by saying, oh, where you get the feeling in your gut, like, oh, that was I shouldn't. No, I'm not going to do that. Like that came from a dark place, you know, Mm -hmm. which I was ashamed of. I mean, it was when we were rowing and I was like tying a boat down and I was climbing up onto the boat trailer. And uh, I was I was thinking I was climbing up there on like our rowing booties or whatever. And I was tying a boat down and it was like 530 in the morning. And I was really frustrated, I'm sure. And some dude like reached up and tickled my foot, right? Uh-huh. And I looked down and I just spit. I just, like cut it out, you fucking. And I I said it. And oh man! As soon as I said it, we both were shocked because it came from like it's just very it's just a dark place, you know. Yeah. Not and you felt it. From, yeah, I felt it, and also the context of it really showed that I knew what it what it meant, right? Yeah. Like I knew what I was calling him. And that was, yeah, it was pretty, pretty messed up. So Dude, those a... moments are really powerful. No, yeah, I know that that's, I, I, we're, we're making light of this, but it, this is not a joke. People uh, really care a, a lot about what words you use and what you choose to use. I actually think it's kind of brave of you to tell that story because there, it could easily be used against you. But I think everybody has those moments where maybe you thought something was okay up to a certain point, And then you had that experience where you realize like, oh no, I was wrong. That's not okay. And I'm not going to do that anymore. Yeah. 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 I mean, it was 2009 just for everybody out there who's finding this, but uh, yeah, I'm not definitely not proud of it. And I mean, I was, we, I was as shocked by that statement as I, as I am now at the time it was, it was pretty horrifying. Yeah. For real, man. I get that. And then also remember when the uh, deaf guy tickled your feet under the table? At the fast food restaurant? Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. I'm two, glad that you brought that up. Two times in the last of podcast, tickled feet. By the way. 
That was great. Two I love like my intro and my intro in the last podcast was just like, God damn, who are we about to hear from? I got a lot of good feedback on that one. People, yeah. people liked it. I had multiple people tell me they liked hearing you talk. Really? That boy, he got a, he got a nice way of talking. He got a purty mouth. <laughs> he, oh man. He got a purty mouth. Um, but we, we got into a, a vibe, but I remember thinking like, Oh, I sound so energetic. Like I'm trying to be entertaining. I I, I was really like that. So I that's, started that's a good this thing. one. I started this one by like being really like, you know, laid back. But I realized that that wasn't me. That's not me, dog. And yeah. I, I, You're a performer. A, yeah. A little or, bit, a little bit. We're both performers, Jeff. Mm-hmm. We're both performers, it's Jeff. It's yeah. true. Yeah. You got to give the people what they want to see. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, discussing stories about my, my past aside. I like the way that you explained the uh, the way your body is like. You said it like a biological reaction to to Twitter, to the internet. Your nervous system and, is activated. Yeah. To me, it feels like, and you're the psychologist here, but it does feel like uh, it's like you're you're just not prepared for it. It's like you're being. It's like you're you're prepared for caveman stuff, and all of a sudden, it's like a nuclear arms that you have to face, right? Like the interaction you described. Like it's a totally. I mean. Isn't it true that we have we evolved for like smaller communities? So like it makes sense in that situation in a smaller community, you would be we would be interacting more often and probably for a lifetime. And any sort of perceived slight on my part, first of all, it could be potentially catastrophic in a way that it wouldn't be in the modern world. But second of all, you would always see me. So there would you would always have like things can be confirmed or or denied i guess what's the wrong it could start your relationship on a path towards negativity every time you interact with another member of your tribe would matter right yeah that's why public speaking is so terrifying for people right yeah exactly i mean it makes sense it's a hugely consequential thing to do but also but so but like your story because we didn't see each other for so long right that's not a normal situation right and yeah like where where we would we don't have any eye contact when you write these things. You can't like see my body language. If I like don't look at your eyes the next day or blah, blah, blah. You have, you're just going on just like you're interpreting the shit out of my lack of statement in a way that is totally. Which is not information. Right. Yeah. 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 Totally right. If we were face to face during that little exchange, Mm -hmm. you, I would have been able to tell, even if you didn't answer me, then it would have been like, Oh, I could tell by the way you turn your head or, the the fake laugh you didn't or did give me like you know what i mean like just the acknowledgement like oh fucking jeff he's an idiot he made a dumb joke uh yeah whereas we're not together you don't get any of that kind of like proximity feedback and Mm -hmm. it's uh yeah and then it just drags that moment out which it is it's just a moment that just gets drug out for weeks you have and you just there's just a lack of information yeah you don't have um yeah you you have to invent it because there's nothing there Right. I do think you're right about the ancestral environment having a a big impact there, because that is exactly what I think about the news, too. And the reason the news is so scary and so successful is because we're programmed to look for danger. And it used to be in the world around us and just, you know, protect the tribe. We didn't have to see everybody's danger from the whole fucking world. Like that's crushing. The weight of that is going to crush anybody. So now we're having to learn how to adapt to it. You know, I think you might have told me about this book. Is this possible? It's called Thinking Fast and Slow. It's like Kahneman. 
Yeah, Danny Kahneman. And he, there's, that was so, it's exactly what you're saying. Like they test the way that people judge probability and believe it or not, makes sense. The way you judge how likely something is to happen is you quickly scan how many instances can I remember or have I heard of? The availability heuristic. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Give me the $100 word. And then from that, you just quit, make an instantaneous judgment of how likely that is to happen, right? So if you imagine, it seems perfectly suited for like our 100-person tribe, right? Because whether I've heard a story of somebody that like, oh, they went to that river and they never came back, you know? Mm-hmm. Or personally, I saw like a pair of yellow eyes by the river, right? You know, it, in that sense, it makes sense that, well, I should probably be a little bit nervous walking by this area. Makes total sense, yeah? But if you... It's just in today we're, it's like you're facing, you've got this little math calculator in your head and you're facing supercomputers that are, that are throwing information at you all the time, right? Yeah. You're just reading the bad news all the time and it makes sense. Then you can't help but sort of have this fatalistic, uh, you know, idea of life or hop into a, hop into a subway, a crowded subway in Europe after some terrorist attack and be like, oh, Jesus Christ, this is it. You know, yeah, because that's available information that you have to compare. Exactly. And that thinking fast, thinking slow, like part of that is uh, the two different types of thought that we use for decision making. Like thinking fast is instinctual and it or instinctive, instinctual, instinctive. I, I don't both know. Of those are acceptable. But it's uh, it's not something you're having a whole lot of conscious control over. It just happens. It's quick mm-hmm. and it's it's a reaction yeah. usually. But um, the thinking slow is like more of that front brain, prefrontal cortex, executive control, planning, mm-hmm. rationalization, all that stuff. It takes right. longer, takes a lot more energy and right. you know, it's, it makes better decisions usually. Right. But I think that with the internet and with social media in particular, we're coming into this with our slow brain and with our slow brain thinking like, oh, obviously it can't hurt me. It's in the computer. I don't mm-hmm. actually know most of these people. Like our rational brain understands that the risks um, on social media are relatively low. They're, they're higher than they really should be as far as this whole cancel culture thing goes, uh, like as far as, you know, survival. But because it, it does not, there's nothing that's going to happen online that's going to kill you. Um, but then our, our reactive brain and our fast thinking brain sees this, this member of the tribe coming after you. Oh, imagine, imagine if there's like thousands of people coming after you, how bad that must feel. Like the mm. girl who said something about AIDS when she got on a plane and then oh, yeah, yeah, she yeah, woke yeah. up, her life had been destroyed because yeah, everybody yeah. thought she was being racist. What and was the joke? Let's not repeat the joke, but yeah, go ahead. I think she said, going to Africa, hope I don't I get what, AIDS. Don't worry, I'm white. Or JK, I'm white. Or something like that. Yeah, it was JK, I'm white, LOL. Truly, truly incredible. Where were we on, Where were we before we talked about JK, I'm white, LOL? I don't know. Money? We talked about billionaires? companies Mm -hmm. oh you know what i was thinking about when you were talking about how your company has a relatively small number of employees given like the amount of money that's changing hands through that organization Mm -hmm. i was thinking about that this morning or yesterday when i was looking at um nfts so Mm. i've been getting into nfts and just trying to learn about the the communities and and the utility of these things and what just all about them and I won't get non-fungible tokens, right? Yeah, non-fungible tokens. You can't so, fung them. You no can't matter how hard you try. Won't they, they will not be funged. Be funged. You, can't be, you can't fung them. Oh, I've tried funging them too, and you just can't fung them. Yeah, so I 
pretty much a couple months ago, I realized like in order to be involved and make any money off of these NFTs, you have to get in at the mint, minting of the NFTs. So that's when you bring them into the world from the whatever metaverse, they become a thing. And once you mint, then you can sell it on a, a thing like OpenSea or Salon Art, depending on what kind of network you're running on. Basically, you mint it and then you can sell it. So mint price is like the lowest you'll ever get in. So I'm like, all right, I got to find me cost, some mints. It's the cost of like coding it out or whatever. Yeah. Or mining or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And it's usually fairly small. It's, it's basically like a, a, the amount you pay for the privilege to join this community and also so that the developers are able to, you know, promote it and have facilities. And it's, it's just like upfront costs, overhead. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's usually pretty low, like two Solana, which is right now, it's like $400 uh, would be an average mint price for an NFT. We're deep in it. Solana just got dropped as though I should know what that is, but okay, go ahead. Solana is, is a huge thing right now. It's, it's the competitor. No, I'm not going to get into crypto right now. This isn't the crypto Mm -hmm. podcast. People are, people are not wanting to hear that. Uh, But so just suffice to say, Solana is a big, big uh, network, big blockchain network, and they have a thriving NFT marketplace that is still fairly new. And so started looking into all these different product drops. And to do that, I had to get involved in Discord. You have Discord? No, but I know it's a forum. Check it out, man. I'm sure Brandon's on it. Um, What does Brandon do these days? Oh, I can tell you about Brandon. I would love to hear about Brandon. Let me just finish this thought and then we'll go Go back to Brandon. So Discord's like a big server, servers. It's a server of server servers. It's got like, it's a chat mixed with file sharing, mixed with the net. It's just like Mm. all in one place. So all Mm -hmm. these different NFTs have their own Discord. So I get on to the Fancy Frenchies Discord, become a member. And Fancy Frenchies are little pictures of French Bulldogs. And they're unique and they made 10,000 of them. And uh, they provide like rarity scores. So you can, you mint one for two Solana and then you can sell it on Salon Art for whatever you want. And so then the market emerges and prices start to become normalized and you start to learn what's rare and, and they don't let you know what's rare ahead of time. Okay. But and, so speaking, can I interrupt you for a yeah, second? Yeah. Speaking as someone who is not involved with this, can, is this any different than like Beanie Babies? No, not okay. at all. Um, other than a few okay. key differences. Okay. So those key differences are use cases, meaning like you can't use a Beanie Baby as a ticket to an exclusive event. <clears throat> you can't use a Beanie Baby to- Only because Beanie Babies aren't valuable enough. No, not because of that, but because Beanie Babies are a physical object. You're, uh-huh. you're not going to bring a, ba- a Beanie Baby around in your pocket and Oh, you and mean it's it not immediately people. unique? No, it is. They can be, but it's not necessarily... They're not portable the way that, that an NFT is. I mean, they're portable. You could port a Beanie Baby, but... They can be ported yeah. and funged. <laughs> you can funge them. They're, they're not unique, but some of them are. I don't, I don't know much about Beanie Babies. I don't know. <laughs> That's probably a bad... Um, example what i like to compare it to is like um pokemon cards magic the gathering mm-hmm. or uh, trading cards even sports right. trading yeah, cards. it's better yeah 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 
because those are, they have different levels of rarity. They have different, different levels of scarcity and, and some of them are very unique while others aren't. And so you have to have inside knowledge of the, of the world, of that world to be able to be successful there. So um, yeah, so there's just, it becomes a game and it's something I did not realize ahead of time was that like the rarity is, I mean, like individual NFTs are ranked because of what they are and not because of just who likes them. I always, I really thought up until this point, it was just like, all right, we made 10,000 pictures of dogs. They're all pretty different. If you like them, you like them. If you don't, you don't. And then the market would determine which ones were valuable. So like people really seem to like the one that's wearing a Trump hat. So that one starts getting more and more valuable because of competition for, for purchases. And then eventually that one's worth way more than all the rest. So that still does happen, but that's happening concurrently with people scrambling through all of the available options of purchase and, and comparing it with these rarity charts to see, because like, if you can find one that's in the top 1% of 10,000 things, you know, it's very rare. Your chances of being able to get a high price for it are way better. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, yeah, it makes sense. It just, it just sort of seems like it's, it's the same story, just with different. I mean, it, it's just sort of like, yeah, a trading card sounds good because it's like it's created with a certain amount of rare, like certain things are more rare than others, right? Like, yeah, it, 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 yeah the market determined that Charizard would be really rare, would, would be really valuable, but also because there's so few Charizards, right? It's planned yes. out that way. Yeah. Yeah. But this sort of, I mean, isn't that the kind of thing? Eventually, Pokemon cards are going to, no one gives a shit anymore. Or maybe. When is that going to happen? They've been popular since I was a kid. Yeah, yeah, but it wasn't a good investment to like buy several Charizard cards. How do you know? I mean, how much is Charizard worth now? I don't know. Well, let's put it this way: you should have picked the Amazon stock rather than Charizard. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, but no, my point is that I don't know if, if Pokemon cards are worth a lot right now or not. I know Magic the Gathering cards are worth a lot of fucking money. Like yeah, 30, yeah. 30 grand for a rare pack. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's not crazy. And I'm realizing as I'm getting into this, that like, there's a lot more people who have money than I thought. And they're just, yeah. they're just not blabbing about it because the prices on these things are outrageous. So far out of my price range that it makes me feel embarrassed to even be there. Like, um, like 50 grand. Yeah. But what is, what is going on? I, I feel like there's a fundamental difference in what we're talking about. Like for me, I'm just like, what, why? I don't like, wh- what is attractive about this? Is it the, is it like the gambling vibe? Do you feel like, Oh, I might win. I might, I might get, well, what's there? attractive to me about it, it can't it be is... the collecting vibe because it's not a physical object. Right. Like, I don't you, see what, I don't see no, what drive is. It is put. the collecting vibe. It it's is all of it. It's all of that. So the collecting vibe is which anybody who's ever had a collection that they were excited about, knows this feeling yeah, yeah. it's a, yeah. it's infectious it gets you and yeah. it just like you don't even quite understand it you're like it's just a fucking rock but i love it and i want another one and i just mm-hmm. and then before you know it, you got a bucket of rocks it's like it's my rock collection mm-hmm. what are you gonna do mm-hmm. with it i don't know no no totally agree that is a vibe that is a legitimate um, vibe so they have wallets and it, it shows you it does a, a rendering of each one of these nfts that you own and you can you can interact with it manipulate it and send it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. it's a thing that you get, but I don't think that's what's drawing people in. It's also like, you know, the fine art world 
is something that I've not dabbled much in other than just like trying to appreciate it. Um, never mm-hmm. yeah. would have ever considered invest, investing in art. But I just heard the mm-hmm. other day that investments in fine art are one of the most consistently growing investment fields or investment, you know, whatever's. Like it if you would have invested in fine mind. art 10 years ago, it would have been Tay worth Zande it. reference, sorry. A lot. Wait, who? Tay Zonde. Don't Chocolate know Rain. I don't Chocolate know that Rain, one. bro. I know. I've heard that reference, um, I think, on Always Sunny, but I'm not sure. And I don't know who that is. I wasn't Chocolate around in Rain. the early days of YouTube. I was, I've never Warm. been all that into YouTube. Well, this is the difference between us because I live and die in YouTube. I'm literally sitting here like, well, I've got some expendable funds. Maybe I'll get a cameo from an old 90s, like a, like a famous 2008 YouTuber, right? Meanwhile, you're like making investments in fine art. I'm thinking about getting Tezande to do a cameo for my girlfriend's birthday. What would you? How would you monetize that? <laughs> I wouldn't. I would just. I would just. It's like taking money and just let, lighting it on fire. I'm done with that. I'm trying to only spend money to make more money. Now, that's mm-hmm. that's what I'm. That's what I'm going for. But that's the thing with right. these NFTs. I don't know if they're going to do that. So it's a risky yeah. investment. But yeah, I, I mean, afford I anyway. you want to be responsible. You want to make more money. You want to be responsible. But in the end, you know, you'll be the you'll be the richest man in the gold graveyard. Right. Anyway, the where I started with this whole thing was like in these discord groups, it'll have like four or five admins and that and then just like twenty five thousand members of the group. A lot of these teams are really small. There's like 10 people who are creating these nfts so they'll have like an artist uh, a marketing guy or you know uh, a tech person they'll have just like a person who does each of these things they make a team and then they receive millions of dollars and just from people over the internet based on these little pictures it's just like i can't imagine that responsibility like in here i'm working right now like i'm this is a, a business technically but the uh the responsibility is fairly low because I, I have like a few subscribers and I'm not, not, not a lot of money is moving around. But if suddenly there, I was like selling something that was bringing in millions and millions of dollars, that'd be so mm-hmm. scary. Can you imagine that the pressure that would come with that? And that's what these people are doing. They're like, they found the new gold rush. And then, and they're mm-hmm. so just like swamped with people trying to buy these things that they're like, they're crashing servers left and right. Um, mm-hmm. Almost every one of these big launches has been, delayed or messed up somehow in the panda one i was just talking about uh there was like 500 different bots that had infiltrated the group and they put a whole bunch of links to fake sites that looked identical to the real site so that when like a whole bunch of people went to go mint their nfts they clicked and they sent their ethereum to a address that nobody knew uh what it was so they basically they all got fucked and there's nothing you can do yeah Um, the whole thing is crazy confusing and i gotta say i'm i'm definitely a crypto nft skeptic because i don't get it because i feel like if you want to make the smart money moves like the smart money moves are just boring right they are smart money aren't aren't the smart money moves like yeah just put it in a mutual fund wait 30 years and then yeah you know yeah nah and I don't think that I get I don't get a I don't get a hard on for like uh, I just I just, it just doesn't do it for me I don't know I don't know I feel like there's like some sort of basic drive like you're talking about the collecting thing I get that I could get on it but somehow my button isn't getting pushed you know Have you looked at any 
because my button wasn't getting pushed even a little bit up until I started looking into it. Once I started looking into it, though, <laughs> and then that was that right on the FOMO, boy, God, it'll get you. That FOMO is yeah. so strong. I spent yeah. like 12 hours scrolling pictures of dogs yeah, and didn't buy any. Tickling your, tickling your, tickling your prostate. Well, because, dude, it's like you're, you're scrolling, 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 and then you see one that catches your eye. And you're like, oh, shit. What is that, a gold background? That little dog he's got, he's ritzy. Dude, what? <laughs> Fuck, dog. So then you're going into Discord. And you're like, number 6925. How rare is this? And then it, it'll pop you out a score. Out of 10,000, this is number 420. And I'm like, I have number 420 out of 10,000. That's pretty good. And then you look around. But the you, fact and, that it's number 420 is also worth something. That's exactly. So then there's that. Because then you're like, oh, yeah. well, people are going to see you're right exactly so there's like the there's official rarity scores and rankings and then there's the stuff on top of that that's just like what people like yeah, so number like 420 69 yeah yeah exactly those ones yeah these yeah, are no, special I, I, numbers yeah. there so there's this whole set of these dogs that are not rare because they don't have traits so they're they're all ranked by their traits and these but dogs have decides, like who decides that this is something we want to buy whoever's got the money Okay, because there's no there's no Pokemon card game to play with these. Um, so okay, so there is other stuff. That's the thing I was going at. That's that's where I was going with that. So the something that these have that aren't available for physical collectibles like Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh! Yu-Gi-Oh! or Beanie Babies Digimon. is that they're giving you benefits down the line. Every one of these projects on their website has a thing called a roadmap, and it tells you exactly what their plan is, when they're going to drop new NFTs that go along with it, and how that they interact with the real world. So, for example, Drunken Pandas, that's one that we were just talking about. They are giving a proportion or giving a portion of every sale to the World Wildlife Federation. Shout out WWF, which Shout is actually kind of funny. Don't cold. <laughs> yeah. In, um, Mitchell Bolden's can you episode. Smell? What? Can you smell? Oh, what the yeah. rock's been cooking. <clears throat> Smells sweaty. Uh, the yeah, that always grossed me out for some reason. Because he's all shiny and sweaty and he's asking if we can smell. I was like, no, but I probably could if I was there in person. Uh, <laughs> where were that we? eyebrow thing? He's lost that. That used to be his signature. I forgot all about that. Yeah, that was yeah. his thing. Yep. I can only do that with one eyebrow. I can't do it with either one. So you're twice huh. the man as me. <laughs> um, lost my train of thought. So French Bulldog, NFTs. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So they provide stuff to the community of members. Well, there's they're going to do staking, I think, where you earn money for just having it, just for holding it, so that they can mm -hmm. increase the volume on their, on their network and mm -hmm. keep it, you know, I don't know. I haven't learned much about the staking yet, but yeah. I get it. I there get are it. different things. Oh, on digital worlds also is another thing that's going to be big. So they're like, imagine the Sims, except for it's interactive with other games. So you can like bring your NFTs with you into the Sims and like set up an NFT store and sell them. Like uh -huh. it's, it's basically they're creating the ability to have a fully digital world called the metaverse that's what we're calling it okay now we're in this room that's what we're calling it now we're in this room
I almost Basically, didn't say it. I didn't want to, you know, make myself seem too nerdy. <laughs> it's called the metaverse. It is called the metaverse. They all use yeah. that term. And that just means like the collective space where people with crypto stuff live and can keep their stuff. It's like the online world that's not the centralized internet. Mm -hmm. So what is it about this specific topic that makes 50% of the population spin in circles and get boners and open their wallets and it makes the other 50% of the population be like, uh-huh, okay, uh-huh. It's because... Us dizzy boner guys, we are seeing you uh -huh. being like, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. And we're like, oh, cool. Late adopters, more for me. I'm going to go buy some. Mm -hmm. And then we're like, right. oh, and guess what? 10 years from now, when it's too late for you to afford any, I'm going to be rich. Just the amount of purchases I'm seeing on these things is insane. I can't even believe it. Like, let's look at Bored Apes. Bored Apes Yacht Club. That's, or I, I'm going to, I'm going to. Do the Solana version, which is um, degenerate apes. It's just a picture of an ape. Right. Yeah. That's what this is. That's an NFT. What you're showing me there. Those. Yeah. Those are the the available NFTs. And those are NFTs. Just, those are not the ones that you own. Those are the ones that are. That's no. The, these are, are not the what I, I wish. I those did. are. That's the shop window. These are uh, the apes. So okay. sixty Solana. 60 Solana. Let's see what the floor price is. The cheapest you could get a degenerate ape is 53 Solana. And at the Didn't current you say that price was like of like 100 bucks. Yeah. It minted that that one right there minted for 2 Solana. So like $300. And right now it's worth $6,700. Okay. Okay, so the difference here is that you're imagining that this will be a thing. This will be this is a valuable it's an investment. Invest. This is not like so you're it's this this is where it's different than a Pokemon card, right? This is this is an investment. You're not planning on selling this later for dollars. This is this is no, this is something that could could be an actual currency later. This is like an investment that you're gonna cash out. It, not even it that's even the, the wrong word for it. It, it. it totally depends on who who you're talking to. So I I think it's just uh it's much like the stocks, how you can use them for long play or short. Your strategy will determine how you shop. So NFTs are new and they're highly speculative. So there's a like high risk, high, high, high risk, probably one of the riskier things you could do right now with your money. And mm -hmm. also that just brings with it high chance of reward. I mean, high potential for reward. The reward mm -hmm. potential could be great, even though the chances are, you know, slim. It's just, it's hard to know. So I don't know. I think anybody who's investing in that stuff should do a lot of research, but yeah, it's the, the gains are hard to pass up for people who are maybe pathologically impulsive like myself. It is a good you thing. You yourself as being pathologically impulsive? Yeah. What? Yeah, yeah I do. Um, I, don't know you. I thought you were a pretty like tunnel vision, hard worker. I am. Those, that's what I, I, I am. That's what I like to oh, do. And um, I guess that's not really impulsivity, but I am. I'm a very impulsive person. Um, right. Yeah. And, but not always. It comes in, in flares. It flares up sometimes. And I was like, well, shit, I didn't need to spend a thousand dollars on Amazon. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. You're I don't an know. enigma, Jeff. I don't know. But yeah.
the NFT thing is interesting. I, I'm really, I think it's going to be a lot more aligned with like the, the fine art trade where people are, are using it as a status symbol. If you, if yeah. there's like one of those apes costs seven grand for the cheapest one, if you have that as your Twitter avatar, people are going to think you're successful and you have money. And that's just. Yeah. As long as it's evident, as long as it becomes evident and people really, uh, it's very evident from the thing itself that that must have cost a lot of money, right? Well, pretty much everybody in the metaverse knows about the apes. I guess if you're in the metaverse, you've got a whole nother set of priorities that I'm not quite aware. Oh, of. are you not in the metaverse? I mean, not that I not that I know oh. of. But I feel like there might mm-hmm. be like a, a Bizarro Andrew that's like in the metaverse. I don't know. Is it a reflection of our of our reality here, or is it? No, it's is it more of an oblique. Oh, okay. No, it's. I, I don't even really know what it is. It's it's all so brand new, but it it really does feel like just the last few months, last now nah, the last couple of years, things have changed in the, the internet world, and people are doing things differently. There's a lot when, more ways to make money. Well, I feel like the change was like something around five years ago or so. I honestly, yeah. I think it, it coincides with the 2016 election. That's when I think things went off. You know, yeah, maybe even into 2012. Some people think that the world ended in 2012 and that this is yeah. all a dream. I don't think that, like, that was, yeah, like that was the end. Yeah. Oh, okay. I like that. I actually have heard, uh, not a conspiracy theory, but like a kind of out there thought experiment where people are like, what if 2012 was supposed to be the end of the world and then somehow we just got like bumped onto another another reality line in the multiverse mm-hmm. and now that's why shit got so weird starting in 2012 because things have been very weird in the last decade do you think it's, it all comes down to the internet i think a lot of it does yeah i think the internet think so. accelerated the rate that we share information and that just accelerated the rate that we develop culture yeah yeah don't you think though i mean i would see it more as like a in fact, we were talking about, I mean, it, it's the, it's, it's an unbelievable, I mean, you know, you've always been kind of a conspiracy guy. I've always been kind of a conspiracy guy, but what we're seeing now is such an extraordinary, everything's a conspiracy, right? Isn't, isn't it just like this diffuse diffusion of information sources, you know, Yeah. where we can't agree on a reality. Some people are living in the metaverse. Some people are living in this verse. Some people are, you know, some people are like, still living in the 1940s on a farm, like, Everybody's different now. It's, Truly. it's like those Japanese. You, you hear about those Japanese soldiers, though? The ones who are still at war? Yeah, I mean, I don't think anymore. I think so. But like in, in like the 80s, they got the last one out of the cave who was like still. Damn. Wouldn't surrender. Yeah. That's yeah, those Japanese soldiers were all in. They really worked them over in whatever propaganda machine they had. Jeff, is Tesla going to going to crash? I doubt it. I doubt it. I think, I mean, they're up over 100% from when I bought in. They haven't. Oh, snap. A little yeah. bit of inside, inside knowledge there, Jeff. Nah, we don't know them very much. Oh, that's their, their, their expensive though, right? Yeah, they're like, and actually, I don't even own all those. My kids own some of them. We let the kids buy stocks with money they had. I'm holding it for them. Damn, your kids are a lot more responsible than I was. Uh, they're pretty impressive kids. I, I don't take any of the credit. They're, they're, really special 
We mm-hmm. just skipped Elsa ahead of grade. And oh, wow. She's still coming home, really sounding like she's killing it. I think maybe we should have skipped her ahead two grades. Then she'd be Is the same, same age as Sawyer, same grade as Sawyer. Huh? Is that something that's done? Can you skip three grades? <laughs> Probably. Uh, we should just take her out of school. Yeah, you can we pulled her. She's better. too smart. Get her, get her, take the SAT. <laughs> she's uh, in cross country, but she can't, she goes to practices and she's killing it in practice, but she can't even compete because she's not old enough. Really? Yeah. Damn, this is like a wunderkind, as we would say. Both of them are, re- are really good runners. Sawyer's 12 and he's, he's been, I forced him to do cross country. He didn't want to do it. And now he's glad I forced him. So I'm going to start forcing people to do more things. Have you been doing a, how's your exercise going these days? Have you taken care of yourself? No, no, I'm not. <laughs> um, I have been running minimally um, really since hood to coast. I've been running two or three times mm-hmm. a week and lifting short workouts, like also one, two times a week. Not, not enough, mm-hmm. like 10, 20 minutes. Elsa is my running partner. She's been working out in cross country at school, so I can't have a 10 year old beat me. No, no. Have you been lifting though? A little. You were like pretty yoked when I, when, when we were, oh, come on. When we were kids. I used to lift a lot more. When we were in crew that first year, I was lifting every day. You were more shredded than a julienne salad. I was lifting in addition to our crew workouts. I was basically working out three times a day. Mm -hmm. And, I was feeling good. That was a, that yeah. Remember the when best. you took those Facebook photos and like a flexing dude, you were like absolutely yoked. I had a whole collection of, of pictures that it was like a file in my computer that I had. I was like, I'm going to keep these forever because I'll, otherwise I'll just forget. And I lost access to that computer. I still have the laptop, but I, I don't remember the password. Really? And you know what? The, the interesting thing was the, the hint on my, like the hint to get the password was, latest pandemic so i was like all right i think it was swine flu maybe bird flu i couldn't remember eventually carried level stuff though that's i'm intrigued now to know what the password was i remember most of my passwords that's the thing i've tried all the passwords i used regularly back then i still remember the first passwords i ever had what are you drinking drinking some uh stiegel Ooh. do you know no, I don't. Right. It's an Austrian beer. Stiegel is like the Austrian dialect word for a, like Stiege is stairs in Austrian German. And then Stiegel, the L gives it like the, it's the diminutive, you know, like Ito in Spanish or like let in English. Oh, like a small. Yeah, like a stairlet. Hmm. Kind of, what yeah. is that? A stairlet? Yeah. Uh, a small stair, you know. <laughs> That's a strange name for a drink. Yeah, I suppose it is. You know, you're really making a lot of good points. It's like naming something yeah. like Little Table or, you know. True. What other furniture would make a good beer? Tiny Door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, that one's okay. Actually, hey. that would make a better name for a production company, Tiny Door Productions. And then the the logo would be like, you'd say Tiny Door Productions with a small door swung half open. Mm-hmm. But with a big, like the shadow, a giant shadow of somebody about to step yep. out. And light you know? coming through. Yeah. And people oh, are like, yeah. is that a metaphor? That might be a metaphor, dog. <laughs> that might be a metaphor. Oh, they, people love metaphors. People love metaphor. Oh, you know what I was watching lately? Remember the Pacific? Wait, oh, the Ken Burns? 
No, no, no. It's like a mini series, like the sequel to Band of Brothers. Oh, no, I never saw either of those. Oh, dog. Tell me about it. You haven't seen Band of Brothers? No, I never have. What is wrong with you? Um, it was that was a little aggressive. That was a little well, aggressive. No, 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 I, I deserved it. I deserved it. I can't I believe, tend I can't to avoid believe, things that are that are uh super sad for, for because I just don't want to feel those feelings. Mm, these aren't like sad war movies, these are more like bordering on you know glorifying combat. As uh, I especially don't like know, those, the uh, the purifying uh, you know, the good the war. Yeah, yes, exactly. The glorious war, the wars and combat is the purifying um, crucible, which makes man the greatest, you know. It could be true, but I don't know. Movie. It doesn't matter to me. I think that glorifying uh, violence is is probably, it's a good way to make money and sell movies, but I don't know. It makes people think of war as an option more. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're not I'm sure you're not wrong about that. But the Pacific is then like the sequel to that. And it's it's not in Europe. And that one, that is just disturbing. That is such a disturbing miniseries, dog. Really? I, I first saw it, like I had stomach issues because of watching it. Yeah. Like I, I felt sick just because of how disturbing it was. But I was rec- watching it recently. And there's this scene where there's like this old, like, you know, grizzled veteran of World War One who like has like a, a meltdown. And he's like, he's like the super tough guy. But he like freaks out during a bombardment. And everybody's so shocked because it's like this old, like, super tough drill sergeant kind of character that then like, you know, freaks out and is like, you know, basically has a meltdown. Mm-hmm. And then after that scene, he like takes out his lighter and like lights the, the younger soldier's cigarette and then like hands him the lighter and says, keep it, you know? And I was watching that with, with my brother and he leans over and he's like, do you think that was a metaphor? Do you think that was a metaphor? Did he just pass the torch? And something about him saying that, I just, I couldn't stop laughing because I suddenly realized how stupid the whole thing was. You uh-huh. know, just like, take, take it, keep it. And this you know, is literally somebody passing the literal torch. It just seems so stupid. Was the guy anyway, dying? It wasn't, but he's like broken. Like he was going to leave combat, you know? He oh, was okay. like, it would yeah. be like, it's like an Arlie Army kind of guy, you know, like, Oh, they all called him like uh, what Gunny because he's the gunnery sergeant. Oh, okay, okay. All, you know, and then he he like broke down in combat, and then it's like, oh, it's but he's been through World War One and everything. You know how it is. Got the Disturbing, shell shock. Exactly, a real shell shock type type situation. But you know how it is. You know, you you should check out those miniseries. I know I don't you have don't time. Like I know that's like a that's a major investment, right? About ten hours. Oh yeah. That's a good one. That's a good set. I mean, I've got a I've got a movie project going of going through all the Studio Ghibli films. What is that? You know, like Spirited Away and Princess Mononoke. Not at all. all those Japanese anime films. Uh, like the last. Wait, what was that one? Princess no, I don't. Mononoke. Like Kiki's Delivery Service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all part of that. Are you shitting me? Is that really one? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. What, what, this is what a did film you that think? you? That's a movie you know. Yeah, I haven't. Yeah. Give me the rundown then. What is it about? I haven't seen it, but I know of it. And okay. I know that it's part, it's part of the same group. It's the studio. It's about Ghibli. a girl witch who delivers stuff. So, like, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> I think it's in the no, trailer. Put, I watched My Neighbor Totoro. Uh-huh. God, dude, that movie floored me. You got to watch that movie with your kids. I'm serious. 
My Neighbor Totoro? My Neighbor Totoro, yeah. I will check it out. Have you seen The Song no. of the Sea? No. Check it out. All right. It, it's one of the... Movie Exchange? Yeah, Song of the Sea. It, I'd say it's one of the best cartoons that made me cry in the last six months. Mm. Top five. Song of the Sea. I'm writing it down. Yeah, it was, it's very good. There's a lot of symbolism in like old... I think it's like... What would it be? Um some kind of mythology. I don't remember what it was, but maybe Norse or something. Oh, well, similes know. and metaphors. What's the what culture is it from where they have seals that come alive and turn into humans called silkies? Well, I don't think I know. Huh. Well, they use that and it was good. Mm-hmm. I watched it with Amelia and it was like I don't know. When it comes to like the animation, the art makes mm-hmm. a big difference to me. If it's not pleasurable to look at, I have a really hard time with it. And Can this art was what, great. Man, I really need, you really got to watch My Neighbor Totoro. Well, I have recorded you saying it now and I will definitely check it you out. You got to put it on there because it's one of those movies that it's just, you're just, I knew it was supposed to be good, but it just kind of floored me. It what just, was it about? It's, like, I hadn't, it's, it's, it's a kid's movie, but you know, it's got so many layers and a lot of stuff going on that are, that are under the surface of the kid's movie. Right. And I think it's really right up your alley. Basically, it's this father has two little daughters, right? And they move into this country house. They're moving from the city into this country house. And the daughters go exploring in the house and the, the forest around there. And they uh-huh. sort of see little creatures and it's unclear what's real and what they're just imagining because the subtext of this is that the mother is in the hospital and is like really suffering. And the kid, it's, it's only... It's never said as even as explicitly as I just said it. It's all like subtext. So the kids are like children are just watching it is like, you know, this is like really amazing story of them, like going through these forest critters and stuff. But as an adult, you're like seeing it, you know, for, for what it is like these kids, like just being resilient in this horrible thing. And it, and it moves on to not ruin the rest of it, but it's, it's you actually absolutely I will watch it. I'll check it kids out. Will, kids will really like it. Cool. Yeah, very good. Right on, dude. There's this I'm show called yeah. Puff and Rock, and it's I okay, think it's like a, you know the guy he plays uh he plays the cop, like the the male love interest on the movie Bridesmaid. Bridesmaid? Yeah. How the how did we both get there? I don't know. But yes, I know exactly who you're talking that about. That guy narrates the show. Really? Okay. Yeah. And he's fantastic. He's he's one of those self-aware narrators where he yeah, like uh, questioning himself. Right. But yeah, it was it's really good. And what's great about this show is the artwork and the the plants that they use are very similar to the plants that we have in this climate. So like, I work with plants for a living. I recognize plants in everything I watch. I'm constantly like it'll be like an emotional scene where they're like standing in a field expressing their love or something. I was like, look at all the fucking gorse in that field. Look at that hillside covered with scotch from behind them. That's terrible. Ugh. Or, you know, all kinds. Of, I see a lot of knotweed, a lot of knotweed in film, a lot of knotweed in film. But so this one is like gonna... hand-drawn gorse plants and hand-drawn uh, thistles and all kinds of just stuff we have here. It's really cool. Then you are going to love, you're going to I also feel I, I'm such not a visual art guy. I feel really like I've actually got problems with that. I think I might have a little bit of face blindness sometimes. Sometimes I've got trouble, like really like just figuring out what's going on. You got a little wonky I've, fusiform gyrus. Exactly. Fusiform gyrus acting up. 
you know, just like in the middle of my day, I'm aware of my fusiform gyrus right now, which, right. So sometimes I think I've got some, some facial recognition issues. You know, I watched The Departed and I couldn't follow the movie because I, I couldn't tell who was who. Well, yeah, like, they all mix up their accents. Yeah, well, dude, like Leonardo DiCaprio, Matt Damon, and who's the other and guy? And Marky Mark. Mark they look the same. I could Three leading men? What's that? They, look, they don't look the same. But they okay. are three the same, like they're the same guy in the world. Like uh, they're all three leading men who like yeah. they should have hired just one of them and then two B, B actors for those other two roles. Right. Just like some character, you know, can I give you can I can I can I change topics here? Because I want to get your opinion on something. Sure. All right. So I'm I'm, I'm going to say it and you, you can have your reaction. I don't know. I'm getting ready to begin the course and the training. It takes about eight months to get there but I'm getting ready to take the course and train to take and take the Austrian hunter's license. And oh, cool. Pass the exam, which is in, which would be uh, about eight, nine months from now. And that's how long the preparation takes. Right. Wow. What's your vibe on that? Is that chill? Or are you, I don't know how you're, what you're, I think, I think that's cool, man. It, it only took my nine-year-old two weeks. So I think you're going too slow. Well, we've already established that those kids are, are beyond my, capacity right no i'm just kidding but is it i imagine it's a. Uh, is it more strict over there there's probably animals, not only is more, it more strict, humans it's, been around longer it's it's really like a, a kind of a fascinating thing okay so the exam yeah so it, the exam is extremely difficult it takes many many hours there's many sections to it and so they wreck there's like a long eight month course which you take to prepare which is every weekend eight hours a day saturday and sunday wow many many hours okay so here's, here's the way the test is. So you'd think, you know, it's just like weapons safety, but shooting weapon safety, all kinds of firearm training, that's only one of five parts of the test. The other parts are flora and fauna, right? So you have to be able to recognize all the animals, also all the, like the plants and stuff, all like the, you know, the stuff that are native to the area where you take the test, right? It's a bunch of that. Then there's a section about just like, um, the traditions of hunting there. So there it's not, it's, it's not really a legal thing. Like because people have been there so long, there's such like, there's like pagan traditions that still are practiced and all this stuff. So there's all sorts of things you need to do. Like after you've killed a, an, an animal, there's a certain like prayer you have to say and a certain like branch you have to like certain rituals you have to do where you like move the animal a certain way, certain ways you have to treat the animal, right? For example, you can have your hunting license revoked if you step over a dead animal, right? Well, that's like you're not allowed to step over the crew shell. Exactly. You never step over the boat, even if you can. Right, right. It's just like a respectful, uh, respectful thing. So, and there's other things about like afterwards, you, you, uh, you can only drink with your left hand until you've, until you've like washed there's all kinds of like traditions with it so it's kind of a religious element then there's you know like the legal thing about it like just the regulations of how it works there's also a piece about it about hunting dogs and stuff and and so it really becomes like just this sort of nature school that sounds great it sounds absolutely I, i don't even maybe even if i don't even hunt i think it's a cool thing and it's like a very respected thing there you know Mm-hmm. like um to be able to have it on the countryside to have said that you've uh, you've done the test so i don't know i wonder like what what is your vibe with the whole i mean i know you love the nature thing right i mean i, I mean, well actually maybe i don't know that i do you know, you're you're uh 
you're working in the wilderness, right? And you're living in such a beautiful, unique part of the world. But what is your like hunting vibe? Okay, so that's that's a great question. I'm glad we got into this. So that's something that I just started doing last year. I've I've grew I grew up here. Everyone, a lot you of people hunt. last year. I just started hunting last year. I've hunted yeah. one one season in my life, and um, I got a deer. It was it was really a, a cool experience. You bagged a buck. Is that I got the a buck? Yeah. I bagged yeah. them and tagged them yep. and uh, I gutted it and did everything myself. And I even bought a meat grinder and ground that motherfucker up and put him in my freezer. And it was, <laughs> it was really cool. It was uh, really cool. But I did find myself a lot of the time feeling like I didn't have information or knowledge of practices that I would have benefited from. So I, I did not know about this in, in Austria, how they do this for hunting, but I wish they did that here, at least optionally, because mm -hmm. a lot of people would hate that because so many people don't want to do those things that are hard. But I think for people who are interested in learning about the, tra the tradition, it would be great because I feel like I felt a culture vacuum. Mm. Like, like there should be some kind of a prayer, I should say right now. I like mm -hmm. I try to come at it with an attitude of having like as much respect for the animal as possible and respect for the land and respect. I just wanted to be respectful about the process because it's just that's just who I am. I care about this place. And yeah, I, I mean, it's a serious, it's a solemn action. Even if you're a real cold hearted son of a bitch, it's still. Yeah, you're yeah. you're you're doing what, one of the fundamental things of existence as a life form. You're taking a mm -hmm. life to to increase your own and to, to increase the life of those around mm -hmm. you. It's, it's a big deal. And it's, it's, it's also very fun, but, um, yeah, yeah no, I think that sounds yeah. cool. That's really cool. What was your experience of hunting? Like, was it, okay. I've got a, a, so much I want to ask you about that. What was your experience of hunting? What, what was like the, the, the thing was it, was it more than just like the, the hunting part of it? Did it feel like a nature? Uh, yeah you know was it the experience of being in nature the most was it just like the hiking like there's also just a physical element of like yeah so my experience in the woods up before hunting i grew up I, I lived in the woods growing up so like me and my brother we would go play in the woods all the time just like mm -hmm. not very far away from our home or anything because we were lucky enough to just live right there so i got really comfortable in the woods at a very young age and you learn how to move in the woods. You learn like how to, without even thinking about it, you learn how to travel. So like traveling through the woods is hard. It's really hard if you don't know where to step because you can't really yeah. always see the ground. You got to be able to read the terrain. You got to know like even working in like uh, wetlands and environments that have lots of, of wet, muddy spots. You got to know how to travel across that stuff without getting stuck or sinking in. And you got to, you just got to know what you're doing. And so after years right. and years and years of just basically going in, just going in the woods for fun, like me and my brother as kids, we just walk out there with BB guns and, you know, shoot trees and just kicking mushrooms, just having a blast mm -hmm. out there in the woods. Yeah, yeah. And then I started picking mushrooms. And so that got me obsessed. And then I was in the woods all the time, like all the time for long, long periods of time, a lot of time by myself. And it's just really therapeutic for me. I go out there and I, I look for the mushrooms and it's, it's great, but I'm loud because I want bears and stuff to go away, like not be anywhere near me. So I crunch through the brush really loudly and I move quickly because I'm trying to pick as many mushrooms as I can. And sometimes it takes a long time to find them. And 
So I'm moving fast. And the way I'm traveling through the woods is very different from hunting. And also I'm carrying as little as possible. So if I go out for a mushroom pick and I have as much time as I want and I, and it's peak season, like it is right now, mm-hmm. I could spend eight hours out there and probably, you know, come out with 25, 30 pounds of mushrooms. What kind of 25 pounds of mushrooms easily. That's must be so much like mushroom volume. Yeah, it is. Right now I have a kiddie pool full of mushrooms. Um, and I picked them in one day. What kind of mushrooms? The golden chanterelle. Dude, um, all chanterelles are big deal in Austria. Really? I bet. Yeah. Yeah, they they're grow also in... like the only one I feel comfortable picking because they're so easy to pick. Find that's why them. I started with them. And I yeah. ended up coming back to them because that's the kind most people want to eat. And they're delicious. They're, they're one of the yeah. only ones that actually taste really genuinely delicious to what me. What do you cook with them? I like to make them deep fried. Which like, yeah, you just bread them like you would uh, an onion ring and deep fry them. And they are really, really good. Must be. My Uh, girlfriend made chanterelle goulash. That's also really good. That's the only other way I've really ever done it. Yeah, it's pretty. Did you like it? Loved it. Yeah, it's good stuff. Bursting with country fresh flavor. Yeah, dude. So I like being able to eat what I brought in. So like when I can prepare a meal that's made out of a deer that I shot and has mushrooms in it that I picked and plants that I grew from my garden, the food tastes better. It's more fun and it tastes better. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I even feel like if you cut an apple, it tastes better than if you just bite in anytime you prepare a little bit, it feels taste better. Mm -hmm. So must be just a thousand times more. That's a bad, that's a bad comparison. No, no, it actually works. So, but, uh, but yeah, tell me about tell hunting, me about the, the hunting part when yeah, I tell switched. Me about, like what the experience was, and also how did you learn how to like? So I, I'd be worried about fucking up. My nightmare is not knowing how to gut the animal, and I just like I just like fucking ruin it. And I like my 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 yeah like and that's like the ultimate disrespect is like the animals like seriously you killed me and then like you like just punctured a lung and left it. Yeah, you and that I mean? happens if you're not careful. That's, yeah. I think you have the right attitude. So people who don't yeah. give a fuck about that are our problem. So, yeah. So mm-hmm. anyway, so I had been a lot, of, I'd spent a lot of time in the woods and I'd see animals out there all the time because when I'm not crashing through the brush, going from patch to patch, I'm crouched down, barely moving at all. And I'm just like picking the mushrooms where in my immediate vicinity. And I'm, and so animals will just walk up behind me and it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's really cool, but it made me overestimate how easy it would be for me to find an elk or a deer. Um, because mm-hmm. once I started hunting, all of a sudden I'm out there in different clothes. I'm, I'm carrying way more shit, including a rifle and a pistol and just like knives and just all this stuff, a backpack full of stuff. So I'm all jingly. Everything's making mm. noise and I can't do my normal like just skittering through the forest where I'm moving quickly and because it's noisy, you can't break a single stick or those animals will hear you. Like you mm-hmm. cannot yeah. make noise. That's just like, can't do it. And if you do, you have to be far enough away to where they can't hear you. You also have to think about the wind. You can't be upwind from these animals because they will smell you and they'll leave. So you, there's just mm-hmm. all these new things that I had to consider that I hadn't had to consider before. And it was hard. Mm-hmm. It was really hard. I spent a couple of weeks just walking around looking for tracks and 
scat and signs of, of, you know, deer rubbing their antlers on the trees and things like that. And mm-hmm. it, it really was a whole different experience than, than I had experienced with any kind of forest exposure before, just because the goal was different. And it was, I had to be so aware of my surroundings and of my own interaction with the surroundings. So does that make it a more intense experience? Is that why people talk about hunting as being like really, you know, I think so. And I think a lot of people only ever go in the woods when they're hunting. So the rest of the time, they're just like Mm. city folk or, you know, they're in a car or they're in their house. But I actually spend a lot of time in the woods already. And it was still a more intense experience. How did you how did you learn how to get the animal? I called my brother-in-law and he came out and showed me, like walked me through it. Just so you've you dump all the guts out right where you shot it. Basically, you just cut up the middle and then you go in with your hands and you feel around all the all the guts and you kind of pull them out and you cut them out and leave them there. And then you grab the the animal. By that time, it's just like you pretty much take out everything from inside the rib cage and then you just bring with you the meat, bones and hide all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So when you see a deer in the back of somebody's truck, it's it doesn't have guts in it. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You take it home, hang it up dry it a little bit to where the outside gets, gets kind of like just not as wet um, mm-hmm. so that it doesn't start to uh, get bacteria mold and stuff mm-hmm. got to main yeah mon- managing the moisture content uh, in the room where you store the animal after you shoot it is very important there's so much to know there's yeah. so much to know it feels like there is that's why it, that's why it takes years to learn and be good at it I'm still mm-hmm. very, very new. I, mm-hmm. I would, I would like to get an elk. That's that sounds fun. What are you gonna hunt? I mean, I guess whatever I can get. Um, you know, in Austria, well, one of the things you were just, I was realizing is in Austria, it's sort of like nature light. You know, there's no bears. You know, not yeah. for over 500 years there haven't been bears. And um, <clears throat> just one of the reasons that it's such a tremendous test and everything. There's such a huge tradition. There's centuries of game being scarce, right? Yeah. Meaning there are centuries of like the need to regulate it and have people plant like there there's there's been 400 years of of planned uh what do you call those like the schedule like there's a certain like a amount that need to be shot no more no less quotas. you know that's been what's that quotas what's yeah so those have been those have been in existence for 300 400 years right so in a lot of different like hunt like societies there based on your age or experience you you get there you're like assigned a certain animal that you're allowed to shoot for that year it's sort of like a lottery and based on based on then your experience um a friend like sort of this family that's um, it's kind of like adopted by them i've been just been really close with them for seven or eight years they have their own property which is then a different law then they can shoot whatever they want as long as it's on that property so hopefully i could i could be there and then check out the the whole scene but it, i think it's just a very different vibe oh it's yeah like a different vibe i mean it's it's in a lot of ways i think it's, it could be less satisfying in certain ways because you're never that far in the wilderness you know you're mm-hmm. always like up in the mountains and it's always like you know th- there isn't a section of land in europe you know in the alps that isn't at one point wasn't at one point part of a you know where where cows graze right or there, there's yeah. just no wilderness. so much history Right. So a lot of the way people hunt is, you know, just like they build their own little hunting um, 
little towers or sheds or something that overlook the stand tree stand or something. Exactly. Exactly. And they sort of sit there and yeah, I guess the, the, the most generous way to say it was that they sit there and sit in like, you know, prayerful contemplation of nature and wait for an animal to come down their sights. The, the other way to say it is that you, um, you know, you just sit there and drink a beer and wait for something to walk by, you know, um, that's so what people do here too. Okay. I, I didn't do that very much because I just, I was such a beginner that I didn't know where to sit. I didn't want to sit and plant myself somewhere where there was zero chance of an animal walking by and everyone else already knew that. And I was just like, well, fuck. But Mm -hmm. um, because a lot of the time there's so much hunting pressure that the animals will go up in the hills. And then the Mm -hmm. places where I've been seeing them for the last six months, suddenly I don't see them anymore. And it's, it's a noticeable Mm -hmm. effect. Dude. Have you heard those like stories of like early settlers, like, like killing Buffalo where it was Uh, like, yeah, horrible. It's unreal. Uh, it's it actually is so upsetting. There's a few different stories that make me just feel ashamed of of my humanity, and one of them is American buffalo being killed, the salmon runs being destroyed in on the United States West Coast by dams and logging and pollution, and the last one is the cutting down of all the old growth forests. Those three things really, I, I, I just can't wrap my head around it emotionally. Like mm-hmm. how much I want those, those like abundant commons to still exist. How much, how cool it would be to be able to go out to any river within a hundred miles and just grab a fish out with my hand the way they could a couple hundred years ago mm-hmm. at this mm-hmm. time of year. Mm-hmm. The right. salmon runs used to be so in- intense here that you could walk across the fish. I mean, everyone always says that it's like a um, hyperbole, but it's probably almost literal. You'd probably slip and fall in, mm-hmm. but you could, I mean, people who are more, yeah. people who are more agile could, could walk across the fish. Yeah. Yeah. And now you, you just don't see that anywhere close to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, if it was a percentage, it's probably fairly low. I bet you it's under 10% of the historical levels. And so the buffalo are the same way. There was what something like some millions and millions of buffalo, and now there's just a couple thousand. And people were killing them for bad reasons. Like people were killing the buffalo to starve out the Indians, and mm. that sucks. Like people yeah, that's, that's feeding salmon to their dogs. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, and it became and they a were so abundant that it was with the stories that I heard. It was like there'd just be like. They just go out and, I mean, they'd kill like, you know, ridiculous numbers of buffalo. Yeah. Just sitting there, you know, just let it rot. Yeah. And you can't even really hold it against them that much because if you think of the world that they were operating in, especially with the trees, I was just talking about this the other day with my wife. I I have a bitterness about logging, Um, not current logging, because I understand how that really kind of drives our community, but about the logging of, of a couple hundred years ago, but mm-hmm. because they cut down so many trees, there were so many old growth trees, giant trees. Like, have you ever been to the redwood forest? Yeah. Once it used to look like that. Like the whole West coast was basically like big ass trees. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know exactly where the, the, it would have ended and stuff, but definitely this area where I am mm-hmm. Pacific County, Washington, 
we still have a couple small old growth patches and the trees mm-hmm. are enormous. Like yeah. five people holding hands can't reach all the way around. Like we're yeah, talking big, big yeah. trees. I'll, I'll post a picture mm-hmm. in my Instagram when I put this episode up. Uh, I have some just of the local trees, but there's a trail just on, on Long Island, which is on the wildlife refuge called the Don Bonker Trail. And it is just a short little, maybe half a mile loop. And it's, mm-hmm. it's got these old growth cedars on it. And it's, it's amazing. So I highly recommend that if anyone's listening, you want to check out some cool trees, go to Long Island on the Willapa National Wildlife Refuge and hike the Don Bonker Trail. And, um, but yeah, it's just sad. But think about then- those guys who are cutting down those trees. They had to build a house. They're like, they look around and they see all these just enormous trees. It probably never even crossed their yeah. mind that they might one day cut them all down. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it must've seemed like the land of plenty, you know, it must've seemed like a, that's what like it was. Yeah. It would be like us going into, you know, whatever Rivendell or whatever. It just seems unreal. It's so abundant that it can't be sorry for the, sorry. Like all of my like nature references just, just really betray my absolute lack of experience with nature. You know, like, yeah. no, man, you're right. It's exactly right. It's like Fern Gully out here. Yeah, absolutely. It's, one of the one times I was camping, I looked up at the stars and it looked so beautiful. I was like, it looks just like the planetarium at OMSI. <laughs> That's all I could think of. Yeah. Dude, light pollution, light pollution really alters the way you see the world. Like when I'm in a dark, dark place, the other morning I went mushroom picking. I left at like 530 in the morning, started at six. I wanted to be there when it was getting light. Um just be, I don't know why actually that's just when I like to do shit. But the, <laughs> when I got there, it was, I was up in the Hills and there's no, there's no street lights or buildings around. So it's just completely pitch black, dark, other than the stars and the moon. Mm. They're way brighter. Like you can see by the starlight and it's a different, it's a different glow than when it's street lights. It's like cleaner. It's like, I don't know, but it's, it's beautiful. Like starlight. You're saying like, not, this isn't even moonlight. This is just, there was a little moonlight in the mix. There's a little moonlight, but the stars were so bright that they were like lighting the world. Then that sounds unbelievable. I've never experienced something like that. It's cool. I mean, I when we were when we would row, that was when there would be a clear day. Then that was about the the the, the extreme. That was pretty cool. That was those pretty were beautiful days. Yeah. And those were also when you'd see like, uh, oh, dude, were you there? Remember Joe Gregerson? Mm-hmm. But they were like looking at all these shooting stars up in the sky. And it was just like this really, you know, contemplative moment, you know, looking at the heavens. You know, I'm sure everybody's pondering their their insignificance in, in the whole vast cosmos. And it's silent and they're looking at these shooting stars. And uh, Joe says in the, in, the, in the back of the boat, do you guys ever wonder why some stars shoot and other <laughs> stars don't? And Carl's like, um, no, no. D- Dog, you know, those aren't stars, right? Those are like meteors, you know? And Joe's like, what? It's just a great moment. Why that do some good. stars shoot? Yeah. Yeah, anyways. You follow Joe on social media? I do. I, I follow the Gregerson Ranch to see the whole thing going on. Man, his life is sweet. Yeah, it looks like quite the... Got a couple of buckaroos running around there. He's got his, his horse. Yeah. His, his daughter looks ridiculously adorable. Yeah. His whole life is just looks so picturesque. I love Joe. I thought I think Joe's such a nice guy. I couldn't couldn't be a better guy to have some success. Joe was like 
the sweetest man. Yeah. Just the sweetest man. The way he would talk about his dog with so much love, I would never forget. I know. Was it Ace or was it me? It might I have think been it Ace. was Ace. I think it was the big German Shepherd. Um, so I was at the Husky. Oh, we were like by the Husky Stadium in Seattle and we were there for some race, crew race. And I'm standing there petting that dog, big German Shepherd. And my younger sister, Tawny, was there with me and also my mom. And uh, Joe's dad was standing there with the dog. And so we're petting him. And Tawny doesn't know Joe's dad. When I was a kid growing up, Tawny was just like best friends with this dog, Joe, who was a big Akita. And they're mm-hmm. like similar to the German Shepherd look, but kind of like almost a little more huskyish. I think they're like an Asian bear hunting dog. Um, but we had this dog and they were really super tight. And so we're petting this dog and Tawny was just like, God, petting this dog just really makes me miss Joe. And Joe's dad was just like, looked at her like, that's weird. And like, he was well aware that she had just like come up to visit me from home and uh, they, she oh, didn't Lord. know Joe the human at all. And uh-huh, it, was, yeah. it was uncomfortable. And she'd like, and I didn't want to, I don't know why I didn't like mention it or anything, but it, it, was, it was from this awkward situation. No? Yeah, it became awkward. And she just like, wouldn't stop talking about how much she loved Joe and how she thought about Joe often. And eventually Joe's dad just like got uncomfortable and grabbed the dog and walked away. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you did. There was no like savior at the end. I told Tawny like after his dad left. I thought it was funny. <laughs> yeah, it is pretty funny, but um yeah all right andrew well it's it's been two and a half hours we gotta get off this thing and i can't believe the time went by so fast it did go by very fast yeah my friend hey you should uh, well i know it's difficult for you to come to austria i will next time i get a chance dude next time you get a chance you got to come to austria i'll also be in the i'll be in the u.s for the first time in a couple years this uh winter when like for christmas time Around Christmas time, it's either going to be like all of December or all of January, but one of those times. Dude, you yeah. should definitely come out to the beach. You know, I'm going to be here with my girlfriend, and I feel like she should definitely see the Oregon Washington coast. You know, it's such a unique place. Yeah. So. Dude, if you, uh, depending on the time of year, if it's if it, the weather is okay, I'll take you guys on a tour out here. There's lots of cool stuff to see. And check out lighthouses and stuff seriously whatever i can do to get you down here it would it would be cool to see you in the actual studio do a, That'd be do amazing. a podcast and yeah you came down for fourth of july in like what was that 2013 12 Dude, that was a legendary fourth of july oh it was so fun i still that look at that so picture fun. of us like standing i still there look at that picture too all the time i laugh so hard i yeah. laugh at Brandon like carrying sacks of propane or whatever. Yeah. We're all grabbing weapons to take yeah. this picture yeah. and he picks up two canisters of propane. Thank you so much, Andrew, for being a hey. part of the podcast. Jeff, yeah, always a pleasure. It's 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 wonderful. It's great to see you. It's great to be on here with you. All right. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for okay. listening, everybody. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Ramble by the River with Jeff Nesbitt. We have a great show coming up for you next week. My guest is a doula, a diesel mechanic, and the operator of a thousand pound laser that could cut your head off. Also, she's a great person and we had a really fun time chatting. So come on back next week and hear my interview with Kelsey Barreto. I hope you've enjoyed this production. 
If you did, please head on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you leave reviews and leave a review. Five-star rating would also really help, but those reviews, that's where it's at. So go ahead and write a couple nice things. It'll take you five minutes, and I would really appreciate it. Head on over to patreon.com slash ramblebytheriver for exclusive access to bonus episodes and early release of these free episodes. That's patreon.com slash ramblebytheriver. All right, guys. Have a great week, and I'll talk to you next time. Love ya. Bye. Can't nobody take